with the Brian Campbell. This is the Professional Wrestling Edition. Now me, I am handsome in costumes. They call me that because I'm handsome. I am also well-dressed, Nick Costos, because the outfit I am wearing today is outrageously expensive. It's about a $2,000 suit. Um, it's fantastic. Xenia is the brand. Look that up. Uh, if you can't spell it, chances are you can't afford it. And, you know, Handsome Nick is on the Brock Lesnar schedule. When the pay grade is good enough, Handsome Nick shows up. So you know what well-dressed Nick did on Saturday morning? He set his alarm for 5.30 a.m. on the East Coast. He woke up. He watched Dominion. The final few matches. And he was so energized that he had to make an appearance this week on the In This Corner podcast. As always, you can follow Handsome and Well-Dressed Nick on Instagram at the Costos, T-H-E-K-O-S-T-O-S, and click on the link in his bio. I don't know why I'm talking in the third person. Click on the link in my bio for my Day in the Life feature in Sports Business Journal, which dropped on Wednesday, and watch me on CBS Sports HQ. Enough self-promotion. As always, I am joined <laughs> by my tag team partners. First, he is the man that live-tweeted Dominion with me from 4 a.m. until its conclusion. He is devoted he loves professional wrestling. He emails us at night on CBS Sports HQ with crappy college baseball highlights because he went to the University of Florida and he loves his Gators and we love him for it. He is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Hey now. And as always, we are joined by the man whose name is on the market. Oh, come on. He is the icon. Let's go. He is the showstopper. Bring it. He is the whole effing show. My man. He is the bod that runs the pod. One time. He is the mast that guides the cast. Stay hyped. You know his name, damn it. He is <laughs> the <laughs> Brian Campbell. Oh, yeah. BC, tell him what's on the effing podcast. Oh, my. Wow. The band is back together. The revolution is ripe. And runneth over, so do yourselves a favor, find listeners, and get some of this. Do you hear? Do you hear that sound? Ah! We will break down Kenny Omega, Kazuchika Okada, four from NJPW Dominion in painstaking detail, including jugs and jugs of Mark Milk that is brewed with that passionate tonic that is only known as performance-enhancing Audio. We will also be previewing this weekend's WWE Money in the Bank card and NXT TakeOver Chicago, along with going back in time to 2013 for the Money in the Bank match for Pay-Per-View Rewind, my favorite segment. This show is so damn loaded. We may be here for a few hours, so buckle up and get ready. But most importantly, we got the heart and soul and libido behind this great podcast. Back, front and center, back in your life. A modern-day sex symbol. He's a guy who just doesn't talk about wrestling all day. He can do it. All night The most passionate man in North America. Hello, ladies. Oh, yeah, he's well-dressed. He's Greek. He's also handsome. Nasty Nick Costos. Yeah, there is. There is so much underjuice. We may have broken the record this weekend, this Saturday morning, for most underjuice ever. In fact, I think the uh, the old boxer shorts, the old boxer briefs might be a little crusty. Tons of <laughs> underjuice after Omega Okada 4. Um, 
So, you know, we kind of do this free form, free will and what when I'm here. And I really appreciate when you guys have me and we're able to do that here. So I kind of just want to spill all the milk, spill the underjuice here on what we witnessed this weekend. Well, hold on. What, will, what segment yes. are we starting off with here? Yeah, you got You got to introduce the segment. Oh, I, come it's, on. It's, it's been a while. It's been a okay, while. Ready? Let's so, do it. Okay, ready? Deep breath. Brian, that was a great, what did I used to say? The Victor Conti of performance enhancing audio, whatever the hell it was, that great introduction. I, I flubbed it, so let's just move on. As always, Brian Campbell, we start with the main event. This is the main event. I waited a little bit there because he likes to jump me, and I oh, wanted good. to see if he would. He didn't that he, time. He's been slow on the trigger finger. Uh, which is recently. good, which is good, because when I used to be on it, he would jump me constantly. So I appreciate that, Brian, being a little slower on the trigger finger. My trigger finger, my underjuice trigger, was not slow this Saturday morning on the East Coast. Omega Okada 4, I will start with this statement. It was the greatest professional wrestling match I've ever seen. Wow! It was the highest elevation of the art form yes. mine eyes have ever witnessed. Bring it! It had everything. It had the storyline of the Macho Man and the Ultimate Warrior from WrestleMania 7. It had the overwhelming drama of Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels, albeit a different circumstance, but the same level of emotion, and it was every bit as good as Ric Flair, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Shawn Michaels, and The Undertaker. Quite simply, it had everything. It was the best pro wrestling match ever, the most emotion in a wrestling match ever, and I will go ahead and say this as well, and people may disagree and may hate on me for it. It was the greatest call of a professional wrestling match I have ever heard Kevin Cal Kelly and Don Callis. Wow. And, and the end of the match from Don Callis is our generation's Jim Ross. Stone cold, stone cold, stone cold. So this is interesting because- Except, except, better, better. Wow. See, that's, right. that's where you go too far. There's a lot ahead. of hyperbole in there that we're going to break down. But I no didn't hyperbole. Think I was facts. going to give you, and look, we'll play a bit of sound from this in a minute and, and talk about that finish, but- I was going to say, man, it came close. It really gave you those prime JR feels. For as great as this match was, the call was the gravy. That was the sauce, you know, and the sauce is the boss. It was so good. I don't know if it was the greatest of all time, but yes. I am in a position today right here to not say anything negative about this because it was it was just absolute perfection. Nick, it was so – it was everything you just said. It was so damn good. Uh, the best way for me to describe what it was like to watch this, I have never been on the edge of my seat – so many times as a 39 and nine tenths year old wrestling fan, I'm 40. rarely ever on the edge of my seat. <laughs> I, Nick, I was on the edge of my seat like I am watching a sporting event, like the result of this will change my life forever. Not it, just it, it will. It kind of did. Right. It was it was it was better. How about this? I'll take it a step further. Henny Omega versus Kazucha Okada was better than any one episode of any television show I've ever watched in my life and more entertaining than any movie I've ever watched in my entire life. That's how good it was. Now, I'm not saying that it's all subjective. You guys may disagree. Listeners may disagree. For me, it's not a hyperbolic statement. For me, it was everything. I am still buzzing over the match. I've watched it five or six times. I've watched the finish back 40 or 50 times because I can't get enough of it. It was perfection. And for me, I feel like I could live to be Methuselah, a million years old. And there will never be another confluence of events like Omega, Okada 4, the blow off to an 18 month storyline with the matches and the history and the result and the call. I don't think it'll ever be. You know topped. what people say? I laughed. Ever. I cried. 
I don't think I've ever had as many different emotions in one pro wrestling match. Where there were times that I got out of my chair and I was clapping. I'm the only one in the room and I'm clapping. There's times when I'm just laughing at how insanely awesome this is. Did you remember that promo at the beginning when Kenny walks up to Okada on the video screen? I'm sorry, not Okada. Uh, Kota Ibushi. Yeah. You talk about getting the feels. Like I was just like, this is so big. This ju- it just felt big. Do you know what felt big? The first, the last five minutes before the start. What was in your pants while you were watching it? I mean, uh, abs- like absolutely. But you know what felt big? Those last minute before, sorry, the last five minutes before Andre and Hogan at WrestleMania 3, right? When they're coming out on the golf carts. When they stand across from each other and Hogan's saying those things and you don't know what he's saying. And you're just like, he's saying something like, come on, come on, big boss, slam me. He's saying something like that. That felt big. Sometimes in UFC, as a fan or boxing, you get those feels in the final minute when they're standing across from each other. This had that, and it's rare when – that's something that's typically organic to just boxing and MMA in my mind because there's that feeling in the air that anything could happen and you don't know what's going to happen. Obviously, anything can happen in wrestling, but it's it's staged, so you don't always have that feeling. This really had that heavyweight championship feeling of a real combat sport. And look at this, guys. Do you know the pressure these two guys had? The most pressure that anyone's ever had in a wrestling match. Artistically, to try to do something that is – on par with the three matches they had last year. And in your eyes, actually bested those three matches last year. Insane amount of pressure. Insane. So it's not just his eyes, BC, because this is what I'm going to tell you. I agree with 90% of what Nick said. I think he's getting a little too hyperbolic, particularly with Don Callis. We'll get to that later. This was not just the highest point of the professional wrestling art form. It elevated the professional wrestling art form. It changed the professional wrestling art form. What we consider what would ever be in the conversation, greatest match of all time going forward, now has to live up to this. It'll never be Which is so far above and beyond Okada Omega 1, in my opinion, that when we get to rating this match, which I hope we do before, we're done today. It's so far. So above far. It. We're talking about well, here's four, why, here's we're talking four right. pieces here's of amazing right. art form. And you're saying so far above. Get the heck out wait, of wait, here. Hold on. Wait, wait. Here's why Adam's right about that. It's not because the match itself was like leagues above in terms of the wrestling. But like Omega, Omega Okada 4 had the story of 1, 2, and 3 built into it. So like as a pure wrestling match, Correct. you could actually make the argument, Brian, as a pure actual wrestling match, one might have been better. Right. Like action in the ring might have been better. But like, but you, but the emotion of four was not present in any of the other matches because it actually couldn't have been sequentially. That's well, it was why a different kind of emotion. All right, let me let me put let me spill the cat out of the bag right there. And again, look, no one's here to say anything negative about any of these four. We're all saying that these are Nick. What's the worst thing these four can be? The top six matches in or the top seven matches? Four in the top seven in wrestling history? Maybe the top four? Maybe four out of five? Wherever you are, they're, so they're four. They're four of the top ten matches. It's, in wrestling it's history. two of my favorite three matches ever. It, two same of thing my with favorite me. Three. Here's what I'm gonna say. I came out of here dripping wet. Just amazing. But I think this is the second greatest match in pro wrestling history. And so what is my number one? The first match between these two. Now, afterwards, I had this feeling. But I I questioned myself. I texted you guys, sort of gave you my opinion. You guys both said you thought it was the best ever. I'm sort of like, am I I having a nostalgic bias here to the feeling of seeing these two for the first time? Just like the first movie in any great trilogy or, or sequential one very often is the best. Star Wars Episode Four, Nick, still the best. All right, still the best. Some people like five. I like four. Dep- yeah, separate, it, separate it, not some people. Anyone with a functioning no, brain yeah, well, thinks Empire Strikes Back is the best. Star it's, Wars. it's not better than four. But we're going okay. another tangent on that. 
I thought maybe that was the case. And then I went back and watched one over again. And again, we're talking about the best thing ever in the art form and one that's just barely below it. I still think number one is the best. For me, it comes down to, yes, there were bigger spots in the first one. It was a bigger wrestling match. Not as big of a story. I'm a spot guy. Yes, there were hellacious spots. There were Kenny risking his neck like four times type of spots. But ultimately, here's the difference between the, the two. And while I'm comfortable saying number one was better, we're, we're picking nets. We know that. I You're also like, burying the lead in like a fairly really like are. incredible way. Here. I agree. Well, let me tell you this. I felt like in round four, the one we just saw, Omega and Okada were working together to try to make the greatest match and tell the most amazing story in history, right? And they came really damn close and it was amazing. But I felt like in the first match, Okada and Omega were competing against each other in real life to show who's the best wrestler in the world. And because of that real life attention, uh, real life, you know, t tension and attention to detail, they organically produced what I think is the greatest match of all time. So it was almost or like... they worked you and that was the story. No, it was almost like a competition the first time around. They worked you. That was the four, story. That's why they faced so, the Dominion yeah, again. And, and hold on, hold on. Let me just finish. And four, you're going to say it was so much better because of the story. Let's not forget part one had two incredible stories going back to back. It was great. It had There's the story no yeah. of Kenny trying to get the finisher and he couldn't. And if he did, the match would be over. And the announcers, Kevin Kelly, Don was not on that call, was playing up that the winner of this match would be the face of New Japan's worldwide reach, the launch of trying to take over the world, and at the face of it, and become a competitor for everybody else in the world, and the winner would be that. So I, I don't think I got worked. I think there was a natural competitiveness in that first one, especially from Kenny, to say, no, I'm better than you. I might not have been booked to win this match, but I'm the best in the world. I'm changing the game, which Adam said, which was true. I wrote it down in my notes. This match, Kenny Omega, the revolution, has changed wrestling. Not in a Kurt Cobain, let me introduce grunge type of way, where we'll just, you know, all, they're doing things nobody thought was possible. This is insane how good this is. So don't let me telling you one's better than four produce any negativity here. No, this is you're, artwork. You're allowed to have that opinion, but Nick's right that you're getting a little bit worked by the storyline. Okada was not supposed to look strong in this match. Kenny was the one who had the endurance, who finally out-endured Okada. Okada never hit his finisher and got a pinfall with it throughout the course of the match, whereas Kenny was able to kick out of it in the first match, and then Okada eventually did him in. The psychology in this match, the storytelling in this match, and Kenny Omega ultimately, like I said, outlasting Okada and being the one to not just re reach the top of the mountain against Okada, but do it alongside his friends, pushing away the IWGP Heavyweight Championship to hug, was it Matt Jackson, right? Not Nick Jackson, whichever one. One of the Jacksons. Matt. And rekindle that relationship and bring them all together having to give up the Bullet Club in order to do hey, it. Hey, dude, you don't it's, have to explain it to me. I can hear Jimmy. But, but I loved it. I said it's the greatest, though, second yeah, greatest match in history. Okada no, 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 wasn't no. Impor as important you're, in the story. You're, you're missing it, too. That This whole thing is stupid. Because, like, Brian's burying the lead. Silverstein's completely missing where he's going here. No, the not. point is, you are, and I'm going to tell you why Go you ahead. are right now. Because he just, because you missed it. The, the thing was that Brian's, the reason why Brian's getting worked is because the storyline going into Dominion was Okada coming out and going, well, you kind of upstaged me. And even though I beat you, we're going to have a rematch. And then if you remember the promos leading yeah, up to Dominion last year. Yeah, that story was year, great. The first, the first one story was better. That's all I'm saying. I just love the first match. But that, no, no, but that, no, but, no, but you're saying like it was a real thing. It wasn't real. It was the storyline. No, did it on I get purpose. that. I'm telling you, I think the first one's better than the fourth because I felt in real life, not being worked, I think in real life they were more trying to one-up each other in real life, also in the story, but sometimes the story tells things that are really going on in real life, where I think by this time, part four, they're brothers in arms. They're trying to make... They're trying to make something new in the world. They're, they're, they're okay. joining forces. All right. Look, so, let's get off of this.
All right, so in, into the match itself, right? Okay, so reasons why this match is the greatest match of all time, in my opinion. First off, Brian, you talked about like the markout moments. I was also on the edge of my seat. I watched it like, what time, whatever time it was on the East Coast, like 6.30 to 7.30 in the morning. I'm going freaking nuts. I probably woke people up in my apartment. When Omega finally won, I marked out like the Yankees had just won the World Series <laughs> or the Giants had just won the Super Bowl. It was freaking incredible. So I love so many things about this match. And looking back on it in retrospect, you can pick so many different things that you really love. How about the fact that Okada, after beating Tanahashi, right, to set the record for most successful NJPW title defenses, not only put Kenny Omega over, but put him over decisively. His one fall, it was the Bret Hart, British Bulldog, SummerSlam 92 finish, yep. falling down on the cradle, getting the three. He never beat him with the Rainmaker. And then Omega won the next two falls with the one-winged angel. It does not get more decisive than that in a best two out of three falls match. The way that it was booked with Okada winning the first fall, Omega needing to beat the unbeatable twice in a row, and the job that Kelly and especially Don Callis did of putting over that fact that if Omega's going to win, if he's finally going to do it, if he's going to beat the unbeatable, he not just has to do it once. He's got to do it oh, twice. Yes. And then it happened. Let me give and you a little. It was so freaking glorious. And the moment that it actually went down, for me, it's the best finish of any wrestling match I've ever seen. Aided by the call. I probably watched it 50 times. Well, let's I hear it. Let, let's hear it. Let, don't, don't pee on it. Let's hear it. Here, here's an early call about a minute before the finish where Callis is just going sick. Using red shoes to pull himself up. Get up. If he ever needed a V-trigger, it's now. Oh, I mean, you could feel Callis' intensity. That's when Kenny is setting up the V-trigger to set up the finish, and Okada hits that signature dropkick where he jumps like 10 feet in the air and nails him. And then you hear Callis going, God damn it. And then the finish. They're laying next to each other on the canvas, both leaning against the ropes, and Kenny steers into his eyes. And I'm going to play the extended here to just catch the feels of what this was like. Feel that. One more time, Omega willing himself to his feet. Connor doesn't see it coming. He doesn't see it coming. I gotta tell, I'm, I'm dripping in sweat right now. I'm it's, dri- un- just- it's unfreaking real. It's so it it was real. Like wrestling's fake. That was real. Like How I stiff. don't care that it was fake. That was real. How it was stiff real was Kenny's me, knee with that V-trigger knee that set up the the angel when he hit it against the ropes? It was he hit it like you flush. I don't care if wrestling is fake. Like there's no way that like that that did. It was re- the whole like it felt like a freaking.
freaking sporting event. It was freaking incredible. How quick and did he get into the angel? That's the quick. Normally, that's a move that he holds him up. It takes a while. He got into that angel so quick. That was just brilliant. How about Callis, by the way? After the match is already over, like the three count has been made, and he yells, hook the leg three more times, <laughs> followed by voice cracking, oh my God, oh my God. The raw emotion, knowing that he's known Omega for a long time from Winnipeg, watching his friends, and obviously in the storyline, it's like Heenan with Flair, rooting for Omega. I mean, just a stroke of genius. It's like, it was real. He lost his mind in the moment. We all did. Pro wrestling is fake. That was real. It's real to me, Dan. You said pro wrestling. Unbelievable. Nick, that wasn't sports entertainment. That was pro wrestling. And that we had that debate last week, Adam and I did. That's the reason why this, what they're doing in the revolution, specifically NJPW, maybe the listeners out there don't agree. This is how I want my wrestling. You have this to agree. This is what People I want. People disagree. They don't but, know what they're talking about is, if they disagree. This is the difference. We're all... 30-somethings. Brian's basically a 40-something. Brian is 40. And I'm 39. We, I'm holding strong here. You're 40. 41, I thought, actually. No, no, no. Come on, come on. I dye, my, I dye those grays out. You can't see a thing. Let's Look, you're, you're mowing lawns and worrying about curb appeal. You're 40 <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, okay? So, um, where was I going with this? What were we just talking about? Uh, I don't know. Kenny Omega and Okada, what we've been talking about <laughs> the last 20 minutes. No, but I forgot the point I was trying to make. But, look, let me, let me put it like this. The finish to this match, because I think that's really what we've wound up on, we can talk everything about the way Kenny Omega hit his finishing moves. All right. The one winged angel, the V trigger, et cetera. Kaz Okada sold every single one like a mother. He's the best salesman in the business. It was truly incredible. The glassy eyed stare that he yep. gives when like, he looks like he's knocked out. It's, inc- is he, it's, un- he should, he should like when his wrestling career is over, he should go into acting. And he's, that, he's awesome. And that picture of Omega, like just getting up to his knees while Okada's dead. Staring just at rigor him. Just laid out staring at him that's an iconic historic wrestling photo like there's only so many of those you have bloodstone from steve austin as another example there's only so many that's one of them and that moment if you talk about the entire match being one of the greatest matches of all time that finish and the post match storyline cody coming out a little bit everything incredible it was perfect so uh, that's a good segue to this like there's moments in wrestling right this is right. This we're doing hyperbole. Nick said that's the greatest call, the greatest match of all time. This I might it. be the greatest I moment as a fan I endured. Oh, it's too soon to say that. I'm saying this was on par with Savage turning on Hogan and the Mega Powers exploding. Hogan turning heel with the NWO launch. Some of the things we saw, if you like recent stuff with like the Shield forming and coming, or at ECW in '97. There's like four or five moments in my personal fandom where it just makes you care and believe so much that this silly and epic drama could be something you should still be watching when you're pushing 40. This might be the best thing I've ever seen. How about, by the way, an hour into the match, still we're getting full elevation on the drop kicks and the physicality. I mean, the conditioning of these two, like as just as athletes, absolutely incredible. And 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 Adam's right. The selling of of, of Okada was 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 masterful, and just the 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 entire thing is. And, and by I the mean, way, I, it's just. And I bought the golden elite shirt as soon as the show went on. Yes. And, and by the way, Okada hits that sick drop kick. Omega comes back with a sicker drop kick, which Omega he's his drop kicks are fine. Like let's not. I'm not trying to say they're bad or no, anything. Okada's but Okada's the best maybe, maybe ever. ever, right? And Omega hit a better one, and we're kind of glossing over it. I mentioned it a little bit earlier. But getting into the psychology of, of Omega falling down while Okada's trying to hit the V-trigger at last 
Dominion, I think no, it was. This is what happened last year. And so, so last year at Dominion, Okada went for yeah. the Rainmaker. Omega collapsed, and then this year, Okada collapsed doing the Rainmaker and couldn't get it on. Him. Couldn't get it flush on him, you know. And, and that callback at the same point in the match—that's one piece. There were a million callbacks. That's one. If you if you watched all three matches, this was a treat because there were callbacks to like the, he teased like we talk about that springboard moonsault spot, my favorite spot from the first match. Right. They teased it early in the match. Yep. They there were callbacks to like four or five different things from matches one, two, and three. The best of which Adam all referenced right. was the famous spot last year on the Rainmaker, and then they flipped it this year with Okada collapsing on. You said Adam was right about a lot of things. There's one thing that Adam was wrong. Now I got to put him on. I got to take him to trial. We got to put him on the stand. <laughs> I mean, it's time that we actually do this. You can't handle the truth. Adam, you said on this show that Seth Rollins is the best wrestler in the world. This is not to disparage Seth Rollins. This is not to disparage you. But it's time for you to officially take that back because he is just not. Hey, no, he doesn't take it back. He takes the L. Take he the is L. just no, no, not. No. So, he is just not defend. on defend. the level the of I Omega, just... Okada, even, I think, Naito and Osprey. And AJ are above Rollins. So if Rollins, if you're the fifth or sixth best wrestler in the world, we're not crapping on you. But Adam, you got to take that back. You just saw, you just saw something we didn't think could happen. Take so a level L. of brilliance. Take, take that, that L. Take so that I, L. So I, I just need 15 seconds so I can give my thought without being jumped on. I don't take it back no. only because no. at the, can I give me Brian? No, because you're wrong. Let me finish. I don't take it back because at that time, that's what I believed. Three weeks ago. To de no, longer. I said it way longer So you longer didn't watch that. the first three O'Connor matches? It's been the last two months. But as of today, no. Seth Rollins is not the best wrestler in the but world. But two months ago, he was. And he's not the top two best wrestlers in the world because we saw Silver the top King, this two. This is a garbage take, Silver King. Take the L and admit you're wrong because you sound ridiculous. No. I'm saying this. You are wrong. It is freaking asinine. Take the L and say, no I, I had something, fit. I believed it, and I was wrong. If See, if you L. didn't jump on what I was saying, you would it's hear, No, because you're you saying two months say, ago, I thought Seth Rollins was better, and now, and now he's not. Like, he was never better than those two. It's a ridiculous statement. Take the L. I look at when you rank best in the world like a power You can't silver hedge this. You can't do it. You're hedging. Like, How about you guys shut the F up and let me talk for a minute, okay? What I'm, trying, power what I'm trying to explain here is at any given moment when you're asking me who's the best at anything in the world, best basketball player in the world, best NFL quarterback, it's the guy who's doing it the best at that moment. And at the moment that I was talking about putting Seth Rollins on top, he was on top. He was doing it night after night, week after week, and he was really bringing the house down. He was. If you're talking about me today – who is the best in the world? The two best wrestlers in the world we saw in the main event of Dominion 6.9. They are Kenny Omega and Kaz Okada. And you can honestly flip them on a match-by-match -match basis because it depends who's selling, who's going over, and, and which moves are being featured. They are the two best wrestlers in the world. They're probably the two best storytellers in the world. They're both in New Japan, and they're both doing it right now. But that doesn't mean that six weeks ago, when Seth Rollins was going nuts every single night, and we only see Kenny Omega put on a great match a month at a time that I that uh, an opinion saying right now Seth yeah, Rollins, but Rollins is really doing on Raw is not on this wrong. level. That's, a, that's not what There's you're saying. You, say Seth is a, you said Seth Rollins is the best wrestler in the world. I did. And I was on time. the show and I said he's not as good as, as Omega and Okada. And you came back and said he's better than them. True or false? You said that. I don't think I said he's better than them. I but challenged at that time, you on it yes. and you doubled down. You 
I did double down. Yes, you, I did. And, I and, did. and now you are skirting around the issue. I'm not skirting just around say, anything. Just say, I got caught up. It's okay. We all do it. I'm wrong constantly. You got caught up in the moment. You said something ridiculous, and now you have to take it back. No, because I don't think it was ridiculous. If I did believe, like, I have no this problem admitting. This is a silver hedge. This is a classic silver hedge here. Uh, you know, this is ridiculous. Uh, th I have no the problem hedge. saying. That's like your finisher, the silver hedge. Welcome to the show, Nick. We've been talking about it for three weeks. The silver hedge. Uh, I have no problem saying who the best wrestlers in the world are right now. But that doesn't mean that my opinion was invalid six weeks ago. All right, ago. last question. Right now, Ridiculous. you're going to try does. to tell me it that Seth invalid. Rollins is better than Ibushi, Osprey, and Naito as well? And AJ Styles? Are you telling me? I don't enjoy... I, I think those are debatable points. I don't. I really do not fully enjoy Osprey. Ibushi, we haven't seen do anything in like six months. But it's of not a recency thing. It doesn't matter if someone didn't wrestle on Raw last Seth Rollins no, is better. I, I'll defend no, Adam No, man, here. it does matter. He's, I think that's fine, what Adam's saying there. Because you can like Rollins better than those guys. I I don't think that that's an issue. So I think he can say, I enjoy Seth Rollins more than Kota Bushi, more than Will Ospreay, more than Naito. I got to tell you, I love Naito. I love Seth I Rollins. I love Naito too. I, I don't think Adam's wrong on that. But where you are wrong is that you're doing the silver hedge and saying like, well, at the time it was a power ranking. But you said that he was the best wrestler in the world. No, He's not the best wrestler. He never has been. Not at the time. At any time it's a power ranking. There are points... So you're saying no, no, did you ever you're saying say no points over the last ranking, you're, did you're you saying, ever say that? You're saying no points over the last three years. At no. any given time, Kevin Durant was better than LeBron James. No, LeBron's the best basketball player in the world. So at no point when Kevin Durant's maybe four five straight 40 point games, double doubles, whatever. But that's not what but that's not what you 10. said. You said Seth Rollins. You said Seth Rollins, period, is the best. True, Brian. Yes, is that, no, is that no, accurate? you're not wrong. I'm agreeing with he you. He said what he said. He said but, what he but said. Things but things change. Yes, Why and can't that, that yes, change? and that means you're wrong. Why can't Kenny Omega be the best wrestler in the world one day? A few months later, it's Seth Rollins, and then a few you months later, it doesn't work like that. that is. Just because Rollins had two good matches on Raw that were like four stars doesn't make him better than matches, Kenny Omega. DC. He had six like amazing matches. But the point is, there's a ceiling it. on his matches. His matches are four stars. They're good. They're good. Seth, They're not Seth great. Rollins ceiling is Seth Rollins' ceiling is way lower than Okada, Naito, Omega, probably Ibushi, and Osprey. Then he can't well. be the best oh, wrestler in the world. Awesome, though. Like it's not it's not to disparage Seth well, Rollins. I'm just saying there's there's shades of gray to everything, and not everything's absolute. There's no question in my mind, as of right now, yeah, it's Okada and Omega. But what if some like 18-year-old dude starts wrestling in six months and starts blowing these guys away? He can't be the best wrestler in the world? Like, come on. Yes, they deserve to die. All right, let me transition out of this by giving you an update on the... Well, Silver King, fire up! He fired up, this guy! Let me give you a revolution update. By the way, the Silver Hedge is my favorite thing to come out of this. Well, what you don't know is that BC invented this term out of something that was not a hedge whatsoever. The people have spoken. The people have spoken. The people on Twitter. you got proven wrong about it, BC. No, the people on Twitter have spoken. The Silver Hedge is a constant thing. Anyway... Revolution update. The revolution is alive and well. We saw Cody come out at the end of the match. Kenny refused to welcome him in. Cody walks away from the Bucks. We will see Kenny versus Cody part two, July 7th at the G1 special in San Francisco. The G1 tournament is right after that. So guys, true or false? This is the best thing that could happen to the revolution. And we're pretty healthy right now. If you believe that not commercially, but critically, NJPW right now is making a case that they're not just competition, that they're better than WWE. Not, they are better. They're better, but they're not competition. It's, it's that, that's uh, the not of commercial, critical, critical, critical. That's what I'm talking well, about. Well, 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 well they've critically, been critically better for a while now. Yeah, they're the best wrestling in the world, critic-wise, yeah. And, and, and NXT is also better than WWE. Yeah, of course. Um, but no, I listen, I, I, to give, and this is another L you may have to take, 
Revolution's real. It is. This isn't the full revolution, though. And BC, we, you know that this, that we've had this conversation, and you've agreed with me. The revolution is when there is the quality of wrestling in America gets to the point, whether it's wrestling, sports entertainment, whatever, TV, whatever, that there's some form of competition that exists for WWE. Yes. Right now, the Cow Palace, they haven't sold out 10,000 seats. It's, and you again, can't tell me again, that the revolution is real. It's not commercial. Again, critical. Now, is it hurting NJPW that they don't have a weekly show that is like advancing storylines? Yes. But critically, they are a, a legitimate competitor. They're putting out a product a different that's world, better But they too. have been for 18 months, though. Maybe longer. It's also a different world now. It's not like back in the day when like television was the only outlet. Like We all watched on NJPW World. Social media has obviously changed things. NJPW is never going to catch WWE. WWE is printing money right now. Right. WWE is never going to be caught. And I actually fear, and I, I really like, I hope it doesn't happen. I hope that Omega never goes to WWE. Yeah. Finally, like, you're on board. You're saying, don't board. go it to high school, so Billy. See, but never, but never. So he's, what is he, 35? Never is, like, in I think five he's, years. I think yeah, no, he'll three. cash out. Guys, he will cash at out at the point, end. They always you do. You can't say never. Not now. Not anytime not soon. Not now. You have to say not anytime Because you know what's going to happen when he comes? We're going to be all excited. I won't And then be... he's going to be in a this is your life segment. <laughs> or or he's not allowed to use the V-trigger, the one-winged yes. angel. Or he's dropping to Roman Reigns. And I'm going to want to kill myself watching it. Well, let me play you sound from Kenny at the post-fight press conference. And I love NJPW because they do press conferences that feel real. You're going to tell me I got marked, but I think there's always realism in what Kenny says. This is what he said afterwards. You know, I've said it before. I've always tried to evolve professional wrestling. We live in this magical world of entertainment where anything is possible, but we've only done so much as the king of sports. This is more than just sports. This can be anything. I've given you the first ladder match. I've given you Chris Jericho. I've given you best bouts. I've given you 60-minute draws. I have given you today's match... We've got so much more ground to cover, and I have so many more special ideas for all you fans that deserve only the best. And we're the only ones that can give it to you. Yes! He's right. He's special right. ideas. You hear that you hear that lingo? There's special ideas. That means booking ideas, people. This guy's staying around because he knows he's changing the game. He's not going to just go sell his soul now. He will eventually when the injuries pile up. Well, for now, he thinks the revolution's real, and he is a viable alternative to WWE. And look, if I wasn't doing this job, I would not be watching every second of WWE anymore because NJPW is just better. It just is. Well, and with that G1 coming up, I'm about to pour it all over my body, all well, over. Okay. They they just made it. They just made him the IWGP champion. Also, I don't. Yeah, I don't think he's going anywhere. Like, yeah, he could. He could lose the title at Wrestle Kingdom and jump ship. I don't think that's going to happen. It would if be awful. Yeah, I don't think they're. I don't think that's happening. Please if they're, don't if they're do putting that. that on him right now, they understand what they have, and I think he understands what he has with them, and so do the young bucks. And maybe they do negotiate with WWE to raise their rent, you know, money wise with NJPW. And they should. But none of these guys are going anywhere. Not now. A year, two years, maybe. Who knows? But uh, again, the revolution, your revolution, it has to be. They're not going to ever compete financially with WWE. They're already competing critically, but it has to be more than just critical acclaim. Right, but it's it, to, you had to build. So in the in the blocks of building. But they're getting there, though. They're, they're Jericho, coming, there. Jericho against Kenny there. was a step forward. This is another monster step forward. Let me put it this way. The noise is getting loud. It's louder than it's ever been. But noise is not revolution. You need weapons, and you need momentum. Silver King, don't be that guy standing momentum. out saying that the twister's not coming while there's a tornado right behind you, all right? Don't be that guy. Right now, well, I, don't, I don't know if it's a tornado yet, but it's it's percolating. Yeah, and it's on the horizon. So I, I'll split the difference. I'll silver hedge here for the difference between you guys. I'll, I'll steal the gimmick infringement. I'll steal the finisher. So I think you guys are, I'll, let's meet in the middle. Because I think Brian's halfway right, and I also think Adam's but halfway right. Before we move off here and get to the rest, rest of Dominion or any other parts of Dominion we want to talk about, I think we should grade this match. Um, 
So what? What? What's the scale? All right. So what did Dave let's give? Did so uh, Dave, no, Dave, we take we the we show Wednesday. Yet. Dave puts his newsletter out tonight. He said on 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 Wrestling Observer Radio, it's the greatest match he's ever right. seen. Right. So his top match of all time is I think one, right? Which is six. no Dominion two. Oh, fine. Six point two five stars is the highest rated match of all time. So I think we go with his scale, just because that's what people are used to, right? So based on his scale, BC, what's your grade for this match? Uh, well, based on his scale then I guess it's a six and a half. But I've always said that, you know, he played himself a bit by jumping so big on Omega yeah, Okada yeah. 1. Should have went up a quarter star. We know that. So uh, in that regard, look, I, I have it, you know, tied with one or just below it. I mean, what the heck? What, what are we going to say? It, it, it literally breaks the scale, guys. So whether I say seven or six and a half or 8.25 or whatever, like it's tied or 1B the greatest match in the history of pro wrestling. Yeah, here, here's my review. On a five-star scale, I give it a 1,000 stars. Right. Where, where I'm going with it is this. It has to break the scale. And if the scale There's right no, now... There is no scale anymore. And it, right, that's the, the thing. That's the thing. If the scale right now is 6.25, in my opinion, and I said this earlier, Eight. there's such a gap between one and this based I, on I, psychology. Okay. No, you're Wait, so, so off, though. Do it. I just want to say one more thing. Ten seconds. I like that. I, I like that in one cr- breath. I don't give NJPW enough credit, but I think this is the greatest match of all time by a mile. I, I, well, I, I, I think so. In, I, in classic, I, I in right. classic Silver King style, you take something that everybody loves and you crap on it. You're saying the what the gap is so wide. You know what's great about the first one? The crowd is almost as on fire as the fourth one, and they're more on fire for most of the match. It's insane, that match. Go back and watch it. There's no gap. He, he never said the match was bad. He I just said there's a big that. gap. Right. Brian, Brian. I, there I, is a gap. Brian, I love that match. I think there's matches that are similar and in the same conversation with that match. I don't think that there are any in the conversation with this one, and that's why, for me, this has to be a grade that is almost impossible for another match to reach, it is a seven-star match. Yeah, I'm going to thousand. I, I, I go a thousand yeah, stars. And, and, but and again, but again, you. Adam's right. And the reason why Adam's right is because one can't be as good as four because one doesn't I have disagree. the build-up behind it that four has. Well, then, then you could say that about a stretch of movies where there's four and five and they're all really damn good. Uh, no, and then you no, could say that, no, well, the first no, one didn't have unless, the no, storyline development. the fourth one's the best one. Brian, movies are The told. fourth one is the best one. These are movies, instance. guys. As Vince said, I'm making movies. I'm not, I'm not putting you're together matches. First of all, you're the one that brought up movies. But movies are made, particularly a movie, let's just use like Goodfellas or The Godfather, right? With that movie being the end. And then it's usually so good that they make another one. Rocky 1 was made with Rocky 1 being the end, him losing. It was so good, it won a freaking Oscar that they said, man, we got to make two. Two made so much money, Wait, they did three and, and Adam, four. Adam, if this, Omega Okada 1 and 2 wasn't going to be that good, we wouldn't see a fourth. That's the truth. If it wasn't life-changing and changing, breaking the wrestling scales, we wouldn't have had a fourth this what year. Movies, what movie's better? Godfather 3 or Godfather 1? 1. Obviously, Godfather 1's what? better. What match is better? Omega Okada 4 or Omega Okada 1? They're the two best matches in wrestling history. Omega Okada. So I, my, listen, my listen. contention is you can't just say, well, the gap is huge. No, that's not that huge. All four uh, of them are incredible. I, I, I think I think it's a it's fairly sizable. It was because, listen, look, the wrestling, one is better. If you're just talking or about- Or they're comparable. Or they're comparable. Fine, right, they're comparable. But the storyline for four couldn't happen without one, two, and three. Yeah, that's and why, every- again, it's the second greatest match in wrestling history. So let's right. move on. We're not, we're not, we're just like 10 minutes. We're, here. we're putting air back in the tire over, over again. Right. Can I opine here? Well, do you, I want you to talk about Chris Jericho and Tetsu Naito. That's what I want. I, I don't, well, I, I, I'll just say this because my time is unfortunately limited with my HQ responsibilities coming up. So Jericho Naito is great. I would say it was not as good as Jericho Omega, 
I don't mean that as a criticism. I, uh, I would say that if Jericho and Aito, I know Dave Meltzer gave Jericho Omega five stars. I would probably have gone maybe a tick below five stars yep. for Jericho Omega. I thought it was very good. Maybe four and a half, four and three quarters, perhaps. I thought Jericho Naito was probably a four-star match, yeah. which sounds like I'm insulting it, but no. I'm really not. It was a it good was piece awesome. of business. It was fun. It was a good but piece it, of business. It wasn't life-changing. Well, what it is, is it, it was a WWE brawl. It was. It was a WWE, which is fine because it's two, it's not like two WWE jabronis doing it. It's Jericho and Naito. So it was awesome. Also, the crowd dynamics were fascinating that the crowd was behind Jericho. Yes. And the Jericho reinvention is super cool. I love his look. Like, he looks like he's an insane, like, murderous, sadistic, <laughs> psychopathic punk rocker. It's tremendous. And now we get more Jericho and NJPW as Jericho gets the IC strap. That'll lead to a Jericho evil match, I'm guessing, next. And ultimately, I think this is where it's ending. And then I'll let you guys talk about it after I'm gone because I want to hit one other thing because i got to get out of here. I think that we will see in the main event of Wrestle Kingdom, Omega and Naito for the belt. And I feel like Naito might win that match because at some point he's got to have his redemption. And if you notice in the post-match interview, not the press conference, the interview in the ring, Omega mentioned Tranquilo. And then in yes. the G1 press conference, he mentioned again, Tranquilo. He said Naito is a loser, basically. That Naito is a great Japanese superstar, but he's not an international superstar. And thus, he cannot think and compete at the level of either himself or Chris Jericho. So that's where I ultimately think it's leading will be Omega and Naito. Maybe Omega wins the G1 and challenges Naito. Maybe Naito goes back to back and wins the G1, but I feel like that's what we're going to see. I'll leave that to you guys to discuss after I leave. But I want to hit this here because I got like five more minutes. WWE should be embarrassed. <laughs> and I know that they're not because and even if they were, they'd wipe their tears with $100 bills. And You're God damn right they would. It. God bless them for it. <laughs> and, and look, I'm a lifelong W. I'll never stop watching. And that's why that's why they're able to get away with this crap. It's because of idiots like me who will never stop watching. And they know it. They know I'll never stop watching. So they put this crappy product out. But imagine your Triple H. I think Vince, I don't even know if Vince is connected to the NJPW. Triple H must have been watching that on Saturday morning. Like, oh my God, we suck. Our product is awful. How could you watch Omega Okada? and then get excited for Roman Reigns and Jinder Mahal. Raw opens on Monday night with eight superstars on ladders cutting a promo. How is this real? Who would ever do this? It's so hackneyed and fake and stupid and insulting to the intelligence of the people that watch it. The product is garbage. It's say, awful, I, and they don't care because they're making money, yes. and, it's a, and it's a shame, and it's a sin. It is a sin because of people like us and people like you that are listening that love professional wrestling and want to watch good professional wrestling, and there's no reason why the professional wrestling shouldn't be great because the roster is great, but it, it's not. Well, that sounds – okay, so that sounds too far, but here's the reason why it's not too far. It comes down to uh, underachievement versus overachievement. This week, NJPW Dominion – overachieved it pushed the ceiling up it took what it, it had which are two great wrestlers and just went to that next level it was like ali fraser three it was like unbelievable even when wwe gives you a good pay-per-view they still underachieve for the most part they still underserve an audience who knows the talent and knows the the, the brains behind the scenes there and yet they're way more worried about Financial bottom lines, moving merch. And so in that regard, yes, they should look at that and be embarrassed that they have the resources to do that, and be they better. don't. They should be the leader in every category, 
and they're not. Even if they're not the leader in pure wrestling, the wrestling should be good enough that quality storylines push it forward and make the overall product better because they can tell stories. They have the ability, the production, the talent to tell stories even better than New Japan does based on its limited exposure. They just do. WWE doesn't care because in this day and age with the network and the TV deals, it doesn't matter who's champion. They're still making money. It doesn't matter what the storylines are. The money is in the bank and pun not intended with the pay-per-view coming up. So they don't have to go out there and put the quality stuff on. And really, like, when you look at WWF, and we've talked about this, and I say WWF for a reason here, because before the NWO came, WWF was not good. And the fact that the NWO came and WCW is whipping their ass on a weekly basis in the ratings forced them to be better. Now, of course, a man by the name of Steve Austin and another man by the name of Dwayne Johnson certainly helped becoming worldwide stars, but the competition was what forced WWE to be better. And I think that the only thing that all of us can hope for as pro wrestling fans is that Brian turns out to be right. And that twister in the distance that we said is percolating turns into a full on tornado and forces WWE to be better. And you know what WWE wants to do? They just want to buy the people that are better and make them play under WWE rules. That's not the fix. So I don't want to hear another person tweeting at me going, man, I hope the Bucks show up at the Royal Rumble next year. Stop that. Stop that crap. We want the revolution to succeed in changing WWE for the better, not just letting them buy people. Let's not forget one thing also. We were in our teens during the Attitude Era. We're now in our 30s. We're adults right now watching this product. WWE it's really not geared towards us. BC, it's geared towards you in five years and your kids now. Nick and I and you, the way we're watching wrestling right now, we want the NJPW product because it's more pure. It's what we're used to. We're seeing things happen like a nicely told storyline. We see Jericho getting all aggressive. Shades of hardcore era WWE, not ECW really, but shades of WWE. But they a can bit do there. it, Adam. Like WWE can, can can put like they put on a great product they, that us all of us have been spilling they, look, they, in the PG area. They, they can do it. One year ago, you guys saw maybe the best match of the year at SummerSlam. Yes, one year ago, right? In, not uh, for WWE, correct? Best, best match of the year. So they can do it. They're getting lazy. They're getting complacent, and they just don't care for all the reasons you said. But that doesn't mean that it's not appealing to an audience that they're trying to appeal oh, don't, to. Don't don't silver hedge this. Kids, I'm not hedging Let them take the saying. L. Let them take the L right now. They deserve the L. The last no, eight weeks have I'm, been I'm horrific. Saying, all, all I'm trying to say is, do you think a nine-year-old kid wants to watch, you know, Okada Omega, or do they want to watch well, here, Sheamus and well, whatever? Well, none know? of us are nine years old. Adam, of do course, you, do you think saying. WWE sucks right now? Uh, It's really bad. Do you think it sucks? The, it, before this week, yes. I thought this week saved it a little bit, but yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't think, look, I'm going to watch Money it's in the Bank, it. so it's whatever. So like, I, I don't take my own advice, I guess, because I'll never stop watching because I just, I love wrestling. But like, it's bad. And I just want it's it bad. to be better. And that's what, that's it. Like, is that so much to ask for? Like, can it be better? Is that so much to ask for? Is it? Nick, is it so much to ask for and the listeners want want a little more, Nick? They want to see Lesnar defend that title. Will, will Nick defend that crown in front of this microphone again or will well, he just be uh, out there swiping and to fulfill all the dreams the desires the wishes and the lusts of thousands of young women all throughout this great country yeah fourth of july yay america i know you'll be doing that but will you be back in front of this microphone um if money in the bank is it, i will be back next week if one of two things happens number one Money in the bank is great. Or number two, 
Money in the Bank is terrible. If it's just a good show, you won't hear from me. But if it's bad and I get to crap on it, then yes. And if it's great and I get to wax poetic on it, then absolutely. What and in closing, I would like to say this. Hook the leg. Hook the leg. Hook the leg. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Thank you, Kenny Omega. Thank you, Kazuchika Okada, for the greatest professional wrestling match mine eyes have ever seen. Go ahead and wow. drop your promo for uh, CBS Sports HQ. Wow. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Silver King. By the way, I got to tell you guys, I really enjoyed the hell out of this. I thought that this was great. This was, I think, one of the best like, like sessions that you, the three of us have ever done together. Um, CBS Sports HQ, yours truly, hosting uh, 5 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern, Sunday through Thursday, all sorts of good sports stuff. Even though the NBA is over and NHL is over, we still got you covered. Baseball, we got the World Cup coming up. Plus, we are all over the National Football League mini camps, breaking news on a regular basis. CBSSports.com slash live. All your connected devices, CBS Sports app. It is absolutely free, and you get to turn it on and see me in a really expensive suit and tie and shirt. You can't see my shoes, which are Ferragamo today, $800. But rest assured, they're there, and they are beautiful. And you get to see my handsome face, and it's even more handsome because I am wearing copious amounts of makeup. Thank you. You can find him on uh, Instagram and Twitter and slide into those DMs, ladies. Oh, man. Nick Costos. With the passionate one, Nick Costos exiting the building, Adam. Real quick to close out the main event here. Of course, CM Punk made his second appearance in the UFC octagon at UFC 225 in his home city of Chicago this weekend. And man, did he take another embarrassing loss this time by decision to MMA journalist and videographer Mike Jackson. Uh, in the interviews that ran right before that fight, CM Punk reiterated a couple times that he's done with wrestling and that no one's even giving him a concrete offer since leaving WWE. What'd you feel watching that fight? You're not a big MMA guy, but you saw CM Punk just get the crap kicked out of him the second time. What'd you feel? I mean, MMA is, without question, my least favorite of the three major sports, and I'm including WWE in there. Um, but I watched this, and... It was bad, I mean, right? It made you feel bad like, for him. It wasn't... I didn't feel bad. I felt embarrassed. Yes. Like, And, and here's why. I don't mind someone trying new things. Like, look, when we started this podcast, I had never done anything like this before. I might have been awful, and you could have replaced me after the second episode, right? But if I trained for four years to learn how to speak on a microphone and, and you know, improve my vocabulary and, and deliver words with meaning, right, through a mic, and I was still terrible in my, in my second go around and, and got fired from a job, I'd feel pretty awful about that. This guy has been training for this. He looked like a wrestler who just decided to go into a, a, an octagon. He looked like yeah. Sheamus or Cesaro just one day said, I'm big and strong. I'm going to go fight. He did not look like anyone who had actually trained to compete. Because if he had, there's no excuse for not putting up a bigger fight against this guy. And didn't this guy come out and be like, yeah, I let up on him. Yeah. Was, yeah. Wow, that was a weird noise came out of me. Uh, everything about it was just embarrassing and sad and like – Unlike the first fight where he fought a legitimate fighter and rising welterweight contender Mickey Gall, who, by the way, also destroyed Mike Jackson in 45 seconds. If he loses that and loses bad, you're just like, all right, applause for trying it. You're a man. You went in the cage. And that was the narrative the first time around. You're a man. You're tough. You showed the sport respect. You got here because you're a celebrity, but you did it the right way. The second time, it was just plain embarrassment. It was against a guy who is just not a real fighter. I'm sorry. He's just not a real, val you know, valid professional fighter, and Punk was awful. I would have rather him have gotten knocked out in 20 seconds against a legitimate fighter than you're like, okay. So I think the onus on the narrative was just 
I mean, I ran, went on this rant on the MMA show. Anyone that's a big ITC fan that's heard all three this week knows I said it. I mean, it's shame on the UFC, but this isn't an MMA show. This is a wrestling show. So even in the wrestling realm, Adam, I just felt bad. I felt bad for the lineage of CM Punk's character to watch him. And he had bad hair. He had like super long hair and he didn't really look in extremely great shape, right? Like he looked like okay shape and he just had no chance and he was bloodied and battered by a skinny dude who can't really fight either. And I feel like it tarnished where the first one didn't. I feel like the second one tarnished part of my CM Punk wrestling memory. And I wait, didn't... wait, so wait, wait. So the thing that you criticized me for predicting last week that I said, I'm really against, not against, but my, my want for CM Punk returning to wrestling is really waning. And even if he does, it would be exciting, but I don't really care anymore. It's kind no, of what you're I, saying. I, no, I got on you for two things. For you saying you really don't care anymore about CM Punk if he comes back to wrestling, and then you going the extra level and saying the fans, he screwed the fans over. Like, we should be mad at him that he walked I, no, away no, no, from— No, no, no. I said fans could feel—I wasn't saying they should be mad at him. I was saying if you look at what he did, a guy at the height of his career in WWE who was main eventing, who really had nothing to—he was complaining about his booking when he was— in Dude, a WrestleMania had, match with The Undertaker. wrestle when he was injured. There's a whole storyline there of what really happened behind my, the scenes. Absolutely. No, and he has legitimate complaints and concerns. My point is... Which is why the point was bad last week when you were like... No, 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 my point is he still walked away. He could have left for six months and come back or whatever the case, but he walked away for wrestling, from, from wrestling. It's been four years. He's trying his hand at this other thing. And basically what he said about wrestling since is almost like... I'm done with that part of my life. I don't care about it anymore, et cetera, et cetera. And if he's going to say all of that, and then he's just going to cash in on a payday and come back as a wrestling fan, I'm not really that excited. Like, it would be cool to see him wrestle. He's very good in the ring. He's great on the mic. We know this. I'm not saying he's bad or anything. I'm simply saying my level of caring about CM Punk, it's low. It's like a four out of ten now. Well, you know, it was a different argument before the fight in my eyes and the second and after the fight when he just looks that bad. And it's just like, ugh, like it just, you know, it, it just tainted the memory to a certain degree. He could bounce back. Look, it seems like the, the the pro fighting part of his life, the MMA part is over. We don't know that. He may resurface in Bellator or some minor league, you know, he shouldn't. He shouldn't resurface anywhere. This should be the end. But I just don't want to see it again. It shouldn't happen on a pay-per-view main card. And to sort of spin out on this, the guy, Mike Jackson, who beat him, who was trying to, like, build his own brand in the process and pissed off Dana White big time who kind of, you know, peed all over him afterwards. So this guy's never fighting the UFC again. Did you see that Instagram live video with Daniel Bryan and Brie Bella where a fan asked Daniel Bryan, Hey, could you beat Mike Jackson? And Daniel Bryan was like, well, you know, on the ground, I can beat him. And Jackson responded to fan side. And he said, look, Daniel Bryan, I will do you worse than I did your man punk because I will have no reservations in punching this guy in the face 100% and at will. Jackson then tweeted, hey, Daniel Bryan, don't let your mouth write a check. Your ass can't cash. You don't want to get potatoed like your mans did at UFC 225. Uh, Bryan responded with interesting on Twitter. We're obviously never going to see it happen. I don't ever want to see Mike Jackson again. I'm kind of done with him. But did you get any, any interest, any feels from that little back and forth? Zero point zero. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, one quick thing on on, on Punk. Uh, did Corey Graves kind of like went off? Yeah, on fight he went night. Off I don't team. know if he had a couple beers or what, but like he went he off. Drunk, yeah. 
I'm like yeah, he he was he was liquid for sure. There's no question. Um, but he didn't delete the tweets. That's what's weird. And the other weird thing is he tweeted at Vince and at Hunter, basically saying like this has nothing to do with you. I got this. So that's what kind of led me to wonder if maybe they, not that they were in his ear, but that wrestlers are encouraged in WWE to piss on Punk because Punk just won that lawsuit against WWE. Which by the way, very convenient that that lawsuit went to trial the week of his fight. Just like it was very convenient that he got fired on his wedding day. You know what I'm saying here. You know where I'm going. Yeah, supposedly none of that had any, anything to do with what was happening in reality. I think we all know better. Uh, look. You decide. Wait, hold on. Vince, did you decide with WWE there? Like, automatically? Like, default? You just no, no. With... No, no, no. I'm saying I think we all know better that these weren't convenient things. Yes. That WWE. Yes. No, no, yeah, I was not saying that at all. Vince McMahon is vindictive. He's a vindictive SOB. We know this. Like, like you know, the WCW invasion, like, it didn't work. Right. In large part, because he wouldn't sign any of the guys that left, you know, al- along with the other stars that were made outside his company. Right. Yes. Like I was sh- the, the, one of the most shocking things that ever happened in WWE history is when Vince McMahon announced Eric Bischoff as Raw GM. I could not believe that freaking happened. Not storyline didn't get worked. Just how the hell could Vince work with this guy who tried to ruin him? That's how vindictive he is. And that's how vindictive he is with CM Punk. I do think, though, I will maintain that one day CM Punk returns to WWE, it might be 15 years from now. Oh, but well, at okay. some well, point, if you were saying return. 15 years when he'd be like 53, I'm saying he'll, he's going to get inducted into a Hall right. of Fame. Okay. Where okay. He See, will be honored and and fences will be mended. I and what's weird is like with Bruno San Martino, we're like, well, Triple H mended that fence and made it happen. Punk hates Triple H, so well, it's that's like, why who, I think he's the only guy who I could say might not ever repair it. Because if maybe. So, some of those, inter- I mean, he hates. WWE right now. And speaking of the hatred coming back at him from Vince, our last part of our main event is that Brock Lesnar has now, you talk about timing, right? Conveniently, right after UFC 225 and Punk getting destroyed, Brock Lesnar breaks Punk's modern day WWE record, 435 days and counting with the longest championship reign since Hulk Hogan's run from 84 to 88, which is staggering. I know that's not modern era. It's modern enough. I was a kid. I was watching. It's staggering that that ever happened when we were alive, by the way, that somebody held the title for that long. But um, this is where you come in because you're, you know, really against the idea of the devaluing of the universal title and the stats don't lie. Sunday, pay-per-view, money in the bank. Brock Lesnar and that belt, not even booked on there, Adam. Yeah, I mean, they've completely devalued the universal championship that needed to be made valuable as a new title. You know, it's not like it was the World Heavyweight Championship they brought back and we're trying to do something with it, the old NWA WCW, you know, strap. They they had to build this thing into something special. And when they first put it on Lesnar, and, and you know, it was Balor, right? Then Owens, then Goldberg beat Owens, and then Lesnar beat Goldberg, it was doing fine. It was okay. There was some bad luck there with Balor and whatever, but it was doing okay. But what they have done Well, through Samoa with, Joe at Great Balls, great feud, through the four way at SummerSlam last year, right? Good build, great feud. Then if is that when it fell off the tracks? Probably. I mean, the look, 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 we've said this a million times on this show. Roman Reigns should have won at WrestleMania. I know the fans weren't buying into it, and they crapped all over that match. We're aware. Whatever booking plans they had, I think Reigns was going to go into a, a program with Joe, and maybe Joe would have won the title. Who knows? And you know, I'm not really sure what they were going to do, but that had to happen. Everything that has happened since has been awful on Raw, and it starts top down with that title. We discussed it just like on SmackDown when Jinder had the title. Top down, it was bad, and right. even SmackDown now. The WWE title can't main event pay-per-views because Roman Reigns is on the card. We just saw that at Backlash. 
it's a big problem. Well, you sent me some stats that if Lesnar doesn't fight until SummerSlam, it'll be 114 days between title defenses. That's when we all think he'll give up the belt. And, you know, if you hear Dana White's comments this week, go back to the UFC once that drug suspension thing is cleared with USADA and that Lesnar hasn't made an appearance on WWE TV in 47 days as of today. So here's my key question to you, because you've been this is an area where you've been on the ball. You've been ahead of the game with and how WWE is ruining this. Did this Lesnar thing continue, meaning him getting re-signed the day after WrestleMania in in the swerve that happened in the WrestleMania main event because of the money potentially coming in at the Greatest Royal Rumble in Saudi Arabia or because of Vince McMahon's hatred toward Punk and thinking, well, if I just re-sign this guy, we can get Punk's name out of the record books? I, I don't think it had anything to do with Punk. I think that was a convenience that it just happened to work out that way. It probably was because of the Greatest Royal Rumble. But Roman could have won the title. That could have been the rematch, and the match could have ended the exact same way. And then you have Roman with the title now. So, I mean, to pay him for an extra match, is you don't have to sign him to a contract to do that. I guess maybe technically you do, but whatever. But to have this keep lasting, and we're going past a pay-per-view that this year they are elevating into Big Five status, and Brock Lesnar's not on it, the Universal Champion. I mean, that's a that's that's unexplainable. It's unforgivable. It's a natural segue into our Money in the Bank pay-per-view preview. But to close, that punk reign felt special at the time because nobody had done that since Hogan. That was during a time when I'd always argue the main reason that I'm not a day-to-day wrestling fan, that I come in and out, is that nobody holds the titles for a long reign anymore. There's no eras. There's no... I need to see this guy at WrestleMania because he's been the champ for two years. Will it matter if he loses? None of that. So when Punk did that, it felt special. So to replace that with Lesnar now in a reign that will be very forgettable historically stinks. It well, think about, think about this. Lesnar's going to be holding the title nearly as long as Okada did. Yeah. And compare and contrast those two reigns and what we got out of them. And that's all you need to know. And, and you know what? If, if Lesnar puts over Reigns, it's going to be the equivalent of Okada putting over Omega, right? 18 months later, it's not the same four matches and it's not the same quality, but it's the summer pay-per-view, the second major for the company, right? Roman Reigns potentially winning the title. And the difference is, unlike with Kenny Omega, where they got him over as a face after being the most dastardly heel in NJPW, no one cares about Roman Reigns. Uh, all right. We don't want to be in this show for four hours, although we love bringing the performance-enhancing audio hard, deep, fast, all those gross words. Like we mentioned, it is Money in the Bank weekend. Big time for WWE, and you know the best place as a fan, as a pro wrestling fan, to catch things like Money in the Bank might just be that Roku streaming player we've been talking about. You know that device you plug into your TV? to unlock thousands of live streaming and on-demand channels, including the free CBS Sports app, Silver King. I'm not, you're not always ahead of the game on things. Maybe sometimes you like to think you are. Roku, though, you might have been a, you may have been a day one-ish on this. I'm ahead of the game on everything, and this is just one example of that. Look, I have two Rokus in my home. I have two TVs. I almost want to get a third TV to get a third Roku. That's how much I like it. Simply put, it's an awesome device. If you have subscriptions, to any of the professional sports leagues, NFL, MLB, NBA, etc., or if you have a WWE Network subscription, if you like watching NJPW World, they either have apps on Roku, all the ones I mentioned except for NJPW, or with NJPW, you can stream it direct from your phone or computer to your Roku. The, the Roku platform, let me put it like this, BC, it's simple. 
It's easy to use. There's no trying to search and find things on WWE Network. They have the categories clearly laid out, easy to click on. It's super fast. And really, there's just nothing that you can say negative about this type of device. Wow, it's coming from you, Mr. Negativity. This is fantastic. It's crazy. Even if you don't have premium subscriptions, Roku is an awesome way to catch your favorite local teams live through many of the cable providers. And of course, Roku also has access to all movies and TV shows you could possibly want with more than 500,000 available across both free and pay channels. So BC, what are we saying? Check them out. Roku streaming players start as low as $29.99. That's for the basic, which I love. But you can also spring for the higher-end players. I'm sure Handsome Nick has those. They stream in 4K and HDR. Look, with Father's Day right around the corner, Roku players make an awesome gift to Visit Roku.com. That's R-O-K-U.com to learn more and start streaming today. BC, I think you need to ask your kids to get your, to get you a Roku for Father's Yeah, it's, it's that time, Father's Day. No more ties. No more no more uh, uh, peanut brittle. Give me, give me that Roku. That's what I'm talking about. We got to get into this Money in the Bank preview this Sunday, Adam emanating from the Allstate Arena in Rosemont, Illinois. That's that's the same arena as WrestleMania 22, right? That's the still still the same old building. Yes, the old the original Rosemont Horizon, the same damn building. The 1985 Wrestling Classic pay-per-view, the first pay-per-view in WWE history. I got that. I got that pay-per-view at my house, by the way, in 85, October nice. 85. Fantastic. Great great memories of that. Uh that same building. Which where do you want to start here? Uh you, or you let's start with this. You excited? Because before this week's Raw and SmackDown, and especially coinciding with what happened to NJPW, I wasn't going to be that excited. And especially after what we saw in Omega Okada, I'm going to be really honest, coming into Raw and SmackDown this week, I'm like, I don't even want to watch this. I don't even care about Money in the Bank. Once you get a taste, I would say this, Adam. I drink wine. drink like $9 wine, $13 bottles of wine. Once in a while, I'll splurge and get a $14 bottle of wine. A couple times, though, I've tasted how the other half lived, you know, in the 50, 70, 80, 90. You know, you drink with, with my man Karen Portley. Sometimes you can get a nice taste of a really good, you know, Malbec, you know. Or the, or the Maloofs, right? Or the Maloofs. Or, uh, or my man Bill Ryder. You can't go back. I didn't want to go back this week, Adam. Raw SmackDown, though, I'll give you the credit, Red and Blue Brands. Raw was a little bit better than average. SmackDown was just fine. And continue, considering that Raw had been so awful, it felt like a Super Bowl. It felt great. I'm decently excited heading into Money in the Bank where I had no emotion. On Monday at 8.01 p.m. Your thoughts. Where are you at? Yeah, so I think you're underselling it actually a little bit because SmackDown has been very good for the last six weeks. It's been very good. They've told some stories. You may not love the stories, but they're doing a good job with them, right? I thought this week's SmackDown was a major step back for that show and in large part because they had done such a good job leading into it that the go-home show, they didn't really have much left to give you. And I'm okay with that if the five weeks prior are good. Whereas Raw has been so awful for the last two months that this week's show, honestly, I was entertained for three hours. And even the segments, and maybe we'll get to them when we do this preview, even the segments that were bad or would have normally been bad, I was still entertained and could find nuggets of enjoyment in them. I thought Raw was good and good enough of, as a go-home show, Nick criticized that opening match, early, the, not opening match, opening segment with the ladders in the ring. I was entertained. No, it's not New Japan. It's not serious. Well, I'll give him this. Uh, but it was good. The match was good. 
I wasn't entertained by the Both opening matches segment. were good. It's awkward that you start the show and they're on ladders talking trash. That was ridiculous to me. The the way that they bookended the show, it felt like a real go-home show. I'll give them that credit. It wasn't great. It was good. It was enough for me to break my vow of silence that says we will not talk about Raw on the show. Well, hey, we're talking about Raw on the show. They Wait, came back. Were you not were right. you not entertained by the back and forth in the ring between those competitors? It was okay. It was fine. But the fact that they're standing like 17 feet up on a ladder, it's just like to start a show. It's just stupid. He's right. It's not like anyway, it's a side topic. Just I need a one word answer if this is still true. Smackdown Live is now the A show. One word. That's all I'm going to one word. Yes. There you yeah. go. End of conversation. Let's get into the preview. What do we got here? All right, so I don't know if this match is going to be on the card. I wrote it down anyway just in case. I have a feeling they might throw it on the kickoff show. But if they have it, real quick, Raw Tag Team Championship, the leaders of Worlds against the B Team, I would assume the leaders are going to retain the titles, right? Well, yeah, but why on Wikipedia? Do you trust Wikipedia? I tend to trust Wikipedia on wrestling. They currently have the Bludgeons taking on Gallows and Anderson as a preliminary bout. Yes, that's on the kickoff show. That's been announced. Yes. This match has not been announced at all, but generally they will announce a match Thursday, Friday, Saturday as an additional kickoff show match. It would be weird to have both titles on the kickoff yeah, show you're for right. the tag team. But right. just but in case, because they keep it. building it. They talked about it on Raw this week. Um, yeah, we got to get that match. And I actually care about it because they've done well with the B team. They've done yeah. really well. The celebrations for each match are fantastic. The fact that these matches don't be labor because the B team shouldn't be in a long match. They get the, they hit their finisher, which is well done. This tag team finisher, which is like what a back suplex mixed with a net breaker at the neck same breaker, time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, fine. Yeah, I don't think they should win the belts here, but this has been a fun angle, and the fact that it's brother versus brother is very interesting. And if and if we can end up with Bo Dallas getting seduced to the dark side here and join his brother, which is what we all wanted for many years, and can actually get back into having a dastardly dark Wyatt family, can we go back to that? I, I'm I'm okay with the leader of worlds. It's fun, but. Can people just be who they're really great at and just actually give them good booking to put around it? Just yeah, like Bo is more than capable of being woken and joining that family. And yes. Axel, who knows? He's funny, and he it seems like he's able to act. So if they want to throw him in that, I think it would be great. But again, we don't necessarily know that this match is going to happen. I just really feel like they're going to add it. The match we do know is going to happen. Bludgeon Brothers defending the SmackDown Tag Team Championships against the Good Brothers Gallows and Anderson. Gallows and Anderson, BC, have previously won the tag team titles on a kickoff show back when they were on Raw. Is it going to happen again? Yeah, the Royal Rumble of 2017. I remember that. It was there. Uh, is it going to happen again? It's tough because the Bludgeons have been booked so incredibly strong, and I just don't think WWE still knows what they have in, in Gallows and Anderson from the comedy potential, from the working potential. I mean, Anderson's abs are out of control right now. This guy's going all in on his career. Follow him in on, on Instagram. You'll see his abs every second and his hot Asian wife and his four kids and all that. Um no, but I, I do care about this match because, look, Gallows and Anderson are the un, underutilized guys, and the Bludgeons have been fun. I know you hate them, but I, I want to see if somebody could dent, dent that facade. That's G1 finalist, Carl Anderson. Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, they have to retain. I think it's the it makes sense to bring in Sanity, you know, to counter them. I don't know what else you're holding Sanity for, if not oh, that. this will be the time. That's a great call. So, yeah, I mean, on, on Tuesday, that's what I would expect to happen, so... I think it's nice that they got the title opportunity. Not a surprise they're not on the main show. Um, definitely popped when they got the clean win in the number one contenders match over the Usos. That was really cool, but that's probably it, unfortunately. Um, but look, Bludgeon Brothers, like, yes, I like Harper. He's really, really good. The gimmick sucks. Um, I, they're, they're being built way too strong, and it just doesn't make any sense to me. Moving on, to me, this really, I mean, I, I cannot even believe this is happening. Bobby Lashley against Sami Zayn. So I want to take it to a different direction, BC. The obstacle course on Raw. 
Oh. Did it save it for you? Oh, no, it's it's all but it's all bad. I I hate it. I don't even want to talk about this match. I don't care who wins. If you got some analysis, that's fine. It did not save it. It did not. Sammy's trying hard. He's not fixing it. This is so freaking stupid. Why in storyline would Bobby Lashley agree to this? Like, stop. I, I can't do this. I can't do it. So wrestlers wrestlers agree to like dumb things that heels try to get them to do all the time. Faces. Um, honestly, I enjoyed it. Like everything else has been terrible. I enjoyed the obstacle course segment. You know why? It allowed Bobby Lashley to show that he's a freak of nature. The way he ran through that. And no, it's not a real obstacle course, obviously. It was cool. It gave Sammy a way to attack him from behind where really he wouldn't have that opportunity against a guy like Lashley, who's just so strong and and scary, right, that he wouldn't be in that position. It gave him an opportunity to, to outsmart him, basically. And it played into the Army thing, which I'm okay with if they're going to push that because it's actually getting heat on Sammy, you know, trying to claim the the... Yeah, but no. I forgot what it's though. called, the, the stolen valor, you know, yeah, thing nobody, on Lashley. So you can't recover it in one week. Like, no, it didn't cares. save it. It didn't save it at all. But for a one segment thing, I was okay with it on Monday night. That's all I'm saying. I, Lashley all has I to hope win for this. is a four minute match. Thank you. Yes, four minutes domination by Lashley. That's how it has to happen. Next up, Daniel Bryan against Big Cass. Is there any way, BC, that a Cass win would be acceptable after the way this angle is played out? No, because it is time for Daniel Bryan to get geared up for a big match at SummerSlam that I hope involves a title. I hope he's facing the winner of AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura. And I'm going to give that my pick away for that now, but I hope that's where we are going with this. this the Cass feud has been fun. Cass has hit his ceiling of the kind of level that he can perform at. And I said he's been succeeding as a heel that grates on you. Yes, he has. He's not better than that, though. I think he's showing that week to week. So let's not belabor this anymore. I, we don't know if Dan O'Brien's re-signed, right? I know you don't believe there's anything he'll do but resign. I know I have a little bit more doubt. They need to get him in something meaningful now to make sure there's no doubt. So Dan O'Brien taps him out. We move forward. You mean the guy promoting Totabella is like a mother every single week, like three times a week on his Twitter well, account? His wife. I mean, it, you know, come on. He yeah, well, he won't be on the show if he goes to New Japan. I can promise you that. So, um, And they're not canceling that show because it does really good ratings for them. So, no, Daniel Bryan will resign. I stand by that. I think there's no way a cast win is potentially acceptable. Um, I, I think this has actually gone on too long. And they ran a decent storyline into the first match, right? Saying that uh, Brian upstaged him with his return. They returned on the same date. But now I'm big, you're small. Like we discussed this last week. It's enough. Like it's, it's just not a good enough storyline for this to continue. And Cass can eat, eat the loss. Not a problem. Brian can't. If Brian loses to big Cass under any circumstances outside of like, Kenny Omega running in and like, yeah, like knocking his head off or something. It just doesn't work. Yeah, I'm, I'm done talking about it. This match, four minutes. Give me four minutes. Give me four hot minutes. Let's move on. For sure. All right. Roman Reigns against Jinder Mahal, one-on-one -on -one match. Now, I have put it as the third match here. Okay, so my question is, is there any chance this main event, main event's the <laughs> No. No, there's not. There's just not. There's that's just you just can't do that. You just can't. There's not a chance. It better not be a chance. It'd not be acceptable if there was a chance. I do. I mean, you know what? I, my my theme right now is give me four hot minutes for a match that I don't care about. Adam, I know Roman Reigns is in this match. I don't care about it because there's nothing at stake. You know what's at stake? Jinder costs Roman a chance in a qualifying match for the money. Like in the end, who really cares? Give me four hot minutes. Yes, let's move on. I mean, come on. If, if this is the main event, then then really, it's over. It's over, okay? <laughs> let me change the question. It's over. Is there any, let me change the question. Is there any chance this goes on after AJ Styles and Nakamura? 
Uh, you can't. You you never know. You can't put it past Vince, dude. You really cannot put it past Vince. Uh, you just. But look who we're talking about in this match. The make believe Maharaja. I can't do this anymore. I like. Look, Ginger's got to slip down to the second tier. He had a good run. It's over. Stop it. Give me four hot minutes. Moving on. Newsflash: This is the second tier. It really is. And I, I think Roman's been dropped down, and he's going to be on the first half of this card. This match is going to go on which is exactly where it should be. People criticize WWE a lot, right, for trying to push Roman Reigns too much, okay? They did bring him down off the main event picture a few months ago when he had the Intercontinental title feud. That worked well. This is along those lines. I'm not saying I want to see this match or this feud. What I am saying is they have done a perfectly fine job building a match that really we shouldn't care about. They had some really good backstage segments with Roman and Jinder, the call and response two weeks ago. I'm okay with having this match. And you know what, BC? Like, Roman's going to win. But if he didn't, I might be really interested all of a sudden. Really? Really, though? If he didn't win? If he lost to gender? Yeah. Well, interested about what? Like, losing to To see what they're doing. Just to see what they're doing with him. Look, Roman's barely been on Raw the last three weeks. He missed uh, one episode for Memorial Day. And the other ones, he really had, like, one segment. They have been featuring the Money in the Bank over him. They've been featuring Seth Rollins over him, which we've been asking them to do. To just forget about Reigns for a little bit. It's tough to criticize them for dropping him down into this mid-card where Jinder Mahal resides. Look, Roman's too good to reside here. The last time he was in the mid-card, they put a belt on him, and that was a little bit of a rehab period. This is all their fault, but even with this under the guise of all their fault, He's got to be back up in something that matters. Even if they don't turn him heel, even if they don't do anything, get out of this gender thing. Enough. Enough. WWE champion, Jinder Mayhall. I'm done with Mayhall. Let's move on. <laughs> okay, SmackDown Women's Championship, Carmella defending against Asuka. Look, Asuka just tapped her out Tuesday night on SmackDown. Is that a telegraph of what's going to happen? Obviously, the opposite is what I'm referring to here on Money in the Bank. You know, so you're, what, you're, what you're saying is, is are we going to see this turn into an actual feud where, where Carmelo cheats here and we just continue this, which leads to Asuka eventually winning down the line, maybe at the slam? Well, maybe what, at I was the really talking about tele- what I was really talking about telegraphing-wise was uh, Asuka tapped out. The challenger tapped out the champion on SmackDown. So does that mean the champion's retaining on the pay-per-view? That's I hope it does. It's time to put it on Asuka. It's time to make, you know, you end no, up so you're saying So you're saying you hope it doesn't. You hope it doesn't telegraph it. You hope that Asuka wins the title is what you're saying. Yeah. Right. That's what I explained. Uh, what, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm talking about, what I'm referring to, and maybe I'm not being clear, on the go-home show a lot of times, they have the opposite of what's going to yes. happen in the match occur. Asuka tapped her out. That's so why the I said opposite so you're guessing, would be Carmella winning. Right. That's what I led in with. But, um, yeah, I, I, I want to see Asuka. I understand if they want to stretch this out because Carmella is doing really well. And you don't – just like you don't want to have Asuka end her streak and nothing happen, which is kind of what happened, you don't want Got Carmella it. to cash in. And then have nothing happen. And Carmella is achieving. So my guess would be that Carmella retains that we continue this. And notice they've used a lot of extra people to tell the story. It really hasn't just been Carmella during, uh, versus Asuka for interesting reasons. But Asuka should win. She eventually will win. I don't think it'll be sun- Saturday, Sunday. Sunday. Yeah, Sunday schedule. Let's do it. Yeah, whether it's the Iconics or Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville, something's going to happen. And, There's and rumors the about. were great this week. They were so great again. People that was really, almost the best people part about really hate them. How? People re- they, they think they're grading. I mean, I think they hate them for the same reasons people hated Vicky Guerrero. Just the, the voices. But, but I don't find that. Though. Their impersonations were hilarious. That was they're great. They're great. It was fantastic. Um, 
I think they find a way to keep the strap on Carmella, even if Asuka wins via DQ so that she gets another win. She doesn't take another loss. But at some point, you know, WWE has Charlotte and Asuka on this brand. And if they want Charlotte going in, whether it's against Rousey or to have the title again going into WrestleMania, if Asuka has it, that means she's going to get it beat again by Charlotte. And we're really wading into the waters here where they did a fine job building up Asuka and basically threw it away at this point. Yeah, because Vince, Vince doesn't care about anything. Anything that Triple H, you, you, Triple H did a call on Wednesday today. And you notice his, the, the big headline that jumped off was Triple H was like, well, it wasn't my decision to pull Paul Ellering off of AOP. We'll find something else for him. That shows you. Look, I, I, I'm not going to do the conspiracy theory and say that Trips is hated by Vince, his father-in-law, that Vince tries to, oh, you got these cute things in NXT? Once they get to me, I'll screw them up for you. But sometimes it looks like that. That's all I'm going to say. Sometimes it looks like that. Well, the funny thing is, the, the counter to that is, well, sometimes Vince can make something out of nothing, like he did with Elias. You know, that's always the counter, and that's where well, we're moving Trips on claims, here. Trips claims that was all him, though. Trips claims. That's interesting. No, Tri no, Trips says he always knew, yes, that he would be better on the main roster than he would be on NXT. That's why but, they didn't push him, he says. They didn't push him but, on NXT because they were kind of saving him and getting him ready. But Vince is the one that has really put the spotlight on this guy. This is classic. Elias is a classic Vince character. He well. really is. He's doing well with him. Okay, we're moving on, though, to that match, Intercontinental Championship. Seth Rollins defending against Elias. I guess there's two parts here. Elias is not great in the ring, at least in my opinion. Can Seth Rollins pull a good match out of him like he just recently did with Jinder Mahal and like he's done with some other guys? And did last week's development with the guitar smash like kind of ruin this a little bit? Because for me, it was going strong, and that was really campy, old school, just like, Oh, you're ruining a guy's guitar that obviously was not given to him by John Mayer. Like, what are we doing? I, here? So, I was fine with that. You... It just took too long. That was my problem with that segment. They stretched that out way too long. Um, it's interesting here because of the guys, like you're saying, who are popular but can't really wrestle that great. I think Elias is a lot more fun to watch in the ring than Bobby Roode, for example. So sure. I think Elias is fine for my regard. Yes, he's not in a very elite in-ring performer. I think he's fine. I think the work he did with John Cena on Christmas when they continued it a little bit while later was, was more than fine. I'm fine with Elias in the ring. Seth Rollins, I think, can get the best match out of him. I'm looking forward to this to kind of exceed our expectations, not challenge for, for you know spot of the night or anything like that, but just, just be a good little piece of business. I want to see storyline where they go. I don't think you should take the belt off of Seth for any reason because he's so red hot right now, but I think you should continue this feud even if it means Elias de DQing himself to get revenge in some vicious way. I think you keep this going because Elias has star potential and he does need a Seth Rollins to take him seriously and to play out some, some good drama here and, and to make Elias happen. He's already like We're already past the point where when he comes up with the guitar, we're past the point of, I want to hear what funny lyrics he has to say, right? Like They've played that joke so many times. It's like Braun Strowman. I don't want to see him power slam anybody or do the power running power tackle. We've seen enough. Now it's time to give us a story. There we go. The end of my rant. Four hot minutes. Let's go. We're going to get to Braun Strowman in a minute, and I have some thoughts on that. Very close to what you just said. Um, you have to keep the title on Rollins. He's too hot. It's it's working too well, which means he'll drop it. No, no. Uh, he should retain here against Elias, and Elias can eat losses, man. He doesn't need to win matches. No one cares. He's so hot. He's so good as a heel. And I know you're saying, like, I'm kind of done with the lyrics and stuff. Not done, but we've seen it. I thought this week was the best one he's ever done. It happened to be. It happened to be the best he ever done, but it was. it's time to give him more. That's all I'm saying. It's time to I agree. More with it. Okay. Raw Women's Championship, which I personally think is going to be later in the show than this. I think it might be one of the two main events. Nia Jax defending against Rowdy, Ronda, Rousey. I'm going to start off here, BC. 
the presentation for Ronda Rousey this week was as close to perfect as they have done coming out of WrestleMania. And sorry, it's by far the best they've done coming out of WrestleMania. It's as close to perfect as they've done with her since she's joined WWE. She got she delivered clear, concise, badass lines on the mic. She was able to show off her athletic and physical ability by taking rolling jacks over and you know tapping her out in the arm bar. Like, why are they ringing she, the bell though? Right? Why are they what? Nia Jax taps out and they're ringing the bell like it's the end of the match. It wasn't a match. It was a debate. Like what is going on? Oh, here? I didn't even. I honestly didn't even notice that. I was so hyped that I didn't even notice that. But I thought that worked very well. And you know what? Jonathan Coachman did the best job he's done on anything since returning to WWE, hosting that segment. He did very, very well. I even thought Nia Jax delivered her lines decently well. So that was a home run for me, given All right, don't, the well, fact that no, 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 it's a home run for me, given the fact that Ronda Rousey's been striking out looking yes, every week yes. on Raw. All right, it's it's a uh, it's a stretch single into a double. All right, it was good. No, it was no, good. no. The physicality no, was, was really good because that's what we need out of her. I wasn't as impressed by the dialogue of either, except for I really liked some of the points Nia made. I Rousey's delivery is just still not there on the mic. It was better this time. Great when she got physical. I'm hyped for this match. There's one thing that this match still has is we still don't know. There's still that we don't know what it looks like yet when Rousey does a full-on singles match. There's not the protection of Triple H and Stephanie and Kurt Angle, and that's fun. That's why this should be competing for the main event spot. I'm really into this match, even with some of the underdeveloped turns that they've had in some of these segments. This week was the right go-home segment to get me pumped up for it. What's interesting is we haven't seen Rousey take any bumps yet, take any... Nothing happened physically negatively to her yet in this build, which is interesting. Um, I'm not sure that means anything. It's just didn't she? Just she took a headbutt in this segment, didn't she? And took a oh, nice... that's right, that's right. She did take that headbutt, and then she she rolled out of it. What I'm saying is, she doesn't go through a table, and that ends the segment. And you're like, oh, I can't wait for her to get revenge. Do you know what I mean? They keep her no, very she, dominant. She, well, she did what, but she is. She's a UFC bantamweight champion. She's a UFC Hall of Famer. Brock Lesnar should never look bad, like like he got destroyed. It took Les, it took Roman Reigns using like chairs and stuff and the steel steps to lay Lesnar out before the WrestleMania match. That's not supposed to happen. It's supposed to be really special when that happens. I'll give you that, and I think it is smart that they've done a couple of things. They've said like you know you fought a bantamweight, right? You know I don't know if they said this, but this is what I'm thinking. Nia's not a bantamweight, right? She's a full on heavyweight. And then Nia talking about all the things you can do in WWE that you can't do that would be illegal in UFC. That was smart writing. Uh, yeah, I'm really interested to see how this is. I'm really interested to see how many minutes Ronda can go. I'm interested to see, as a worker, what Jax can do to support her. Because Jax is the veteran now in this match, and Jax is still kind of green. I mean, she's made some big leaps and stuff, but she's going to have to step up big for this match to be big, unless this is going to be a short piece of business, unless they have a powerful seven to eight minutes with a good story and a good ending. But if she, you're going to... She, she's made some leaps, but she's not a good worker. She's not great. She's not bad. I don't know. But I've only seen her with good workers recently, so it's really tough to say that. Here's the thing, though, that's very interesting is, uh, you know, I think with the whole thing with the NBC up front is tied into that. You know, it was not a surprise that she was there and pushed to the forefront, and then suddenly she's getting a title match, even though it came together very quickly and bunglingly. Also, Ric Flair's recent public comments are interesting, where he says, you know, if she's going to have a match with Charlotte at WrestleMania, they better do it quick, because he doesn't think, we don't have this information, we don't know Ronda's contract status, he doesn't think her contract is more than one year, and he reiterated what we already knew, that she wants to have kids and settle down. So, I guess if anything, Ric Flair running his mouth brought to light the idea that maybe this isn't a four, five, six year thing. We don't know that. We We don't know if it's going to end in one year. But at least it was that, hey, we better get down to business.
to get the most out of her, to see how good she can actually be. So that's why she's rushed into a title shot now. So now the next step is, will she actually win it? Do we actually believe that? I think Natalia is going to play a, a monster role. And you can see it going either way, Adam. If you're of the belief that Rousey's going to win because she has to now, let's put the title on her, let's do business. I could see Natalia cheating to help Ronda, and that creates a, you know, Ronda didn't cheat in the UFC, right? It creates an interesting story to tell, just as you could see Natalia turning on her and costing her because of how she's been flaunting and teasing a possible heel turn. You think she's there's making an injury, which is interesting, too. Well, there's a third option, which is, and we'll get to it. Yeah, I, yeah. It, that's my, went, and that's my pick, she, by the way, for that match. I okay, completely ahead, agree with ahead, that. No, no, I want to hear your thoughts on... on oh, no. Well, the other well, the other possibility, I'll just say it, is Natalia wins the money in the yes. bank briefcase early in the show and, you know, is feigning injury basically the entire time. Comes in, Ronda Rousey wins the title over Jax or is like knocked out of the ring or something happens and she either pins Jax a la Seth Rollins or takes the title from Rousey and they start a feud leading into SummerSlam where Rousey wins her second WWE title in a three-month span. So that's the third option here if you want to involve Natalia in the match, in my opinion. But in terms of why this is happening and where it's going to go, let's also not forget, it was just announced, and they mentioned it on Raw in this segment, Ronda Rouse is going into the UFC Hall of Fame. And wouldn't it be cool for WWE if she's wearing the Raw Women's Championship on stage at UFC? Yeah, there's that's interesting. There's a lot of synergy here, a lot of interesting synergy, from NBC to the to UFC capitalizing on her WWE success right now to get her in the Hall this year and, and get, make a moment out of that. Very interesting. Now, Natty doesn't have to affect this match. She also doesn't have to cash in if she ends up winning the briefcase. My prediction, though, is that Ronda will win the title and that Natty, and not to jump too far ahead, but that Natty will win the contract, but that she won't cash it in on this night. But that, Adam, there's a great story you can tell there. Just like there's why, a great story. Why, if, wouldn't you, why wouldn't you ever cash it in? Because you can tell a longer story over the next couple of months of my friend has this briefcase that is a threat to my title, but she's still being friendly. Is she going to turn on me? You can slowly tell it. You, in fact, you can have Rousey defend you, against Natalia at the next pay-per-view, and, and you could do it quick, or obviously you can stretch it out to, to SummerSlam. So the Bray Wyatt-Randy Orton storyline. Yes, yes, in female form. See, I'm, ag- I'm against that. I think you want to make an impact, right? We're talking about storylines and, and, like, getting juice and really doing things right. Then you need Natalia to win and cash in. So Ronda wins, the crowd is going nuts, Natalia cashes in, massive heel heat, and you're setting up now a two- or three-month feud that takes you through SummerSlam or maybe even a little bit beyond, and you have Rousey working against a former friend and training partner who's ex- an experienced veteran in WWE who will help train her for the eventual match with Charlotte Flair or Asuka or whatever the hell they do with her at WrestleMania 35. Lot, that's, look, there's a lot, of, a lot of ways they can go here. This is very, very interesting. I just, I, we, I just don't want to see... Ronda Rousey not win the title in this in this situation because if she's in a title match whether she wins by DQ or if she loses for some reason to Jax it hurts her the only yeah the only outcome is her winning the match clean kind of like the idea though of Natty cheating to help her and that becomes a interesting setup and an interesting situation I just don't think I want to see Ronda and Jax keep going though that's the only thing I do not want to see this continue. And I don't think it would be the worst thing if Nia like, took a break also. Just based on how they've booked her, how flippy-floppy they've booked her, heel face, heel, like, what is she? You know, she had the whole bullying thing, then now she, then she became a bully. It's like, I've kind of had enough Nia. Not, not forever, just 
two months, three months, right? right. So yes. I wouldn't mind her like injuring her arm and getting removed from the feud. And then having Ronda Natalia. I think Sometimes that's the way you that wish she was like most girls. Uh, that, that should take us into the women's money in the bank ladder match because I just did give away my prediction. I predict that Natty will win it so that they can tell that story that I mentioned. If it's not Natty, what's your pick? Or maybe you have a different pick on who it should be. What, what, who could really benefit in this group here? I really haven't thought about it too much candidly, even though I knew we were doing the show. But just for everyone's edification, the participants on Raw are Ember Moon, Banks, Bliss and Natalia, and then on from SmackDown, Charlotte Flair, Becky Lynch, Lana, and Naomi. If it's not Natalia, which I think is really smart, I think you have to give it to someone who actually needs it, right? Like who can do business with the briefcase. We've learned from giving it to Corbin, right? And giving it to Carmella that it's just like they're forgotten and no one really cares. You gotta give it to either Sasha Banks or Becky Lynch. And you have someone who's fan either like loved or hated and banks can be both depending on the night but who can work a mic right who's talented in the ring and would be a legitimate champion because you really do want the money in the bank briefcase holder to win the title in the cash in yeah that's fair that's fair i mean man i i could see it you know, it's weird they've they booked this so the setup to this so uh somewhat generically somewhat even across the board where you know if it's moon you can see them using that to give her the push if it's you know lynch or banks you see hey people that used to be on top that we're not giving the best booking to of late let's give them now a chance to push him back up and even lana from a comedic sort of uh i know she's more face now than heel but they're realizing how much business rusev can do and in, in her by her side i mean she now has a a lana day shirt i mean hey they, it would make the case comedic, but I'd be tuning in for that. Believe me on they're, that. They're doing a really good job with Lana and Rusev coming out of what did Rusev? Oh, coming out of like everyone being upset that Rusev was jobbing to the Undertaker, which really, if you think about it, wasn't the worst thing in the world. He was fighting the Undertaker at a pay per view, but coming out of that, they've done a really good job with Rusev and Lana, not just keeping them face, but having them continue slowly dropping their accents. Rusev just did an interview. Um, on WWE.com, social media, whatever you want to call it, that was like 75% accent gone. Lon, Lana's at like 90% right now. Yeah. It's it's good. They don't need it. The characters need to develop and change. And them as a pair is so much better than them separate. I don't want to belabor this, but one point, Lana and Naomi were friends on SmackDown this week. Didn't Lana just turn on her in that great dance I don't know, segment? I don't, like, know that, I don't know that they were friends. They were put together as a team. But they because were, like they were celebrating doing the... after and hugging. I didn't like that. But it's Oh, I didn't notice that. I didn't notice that. That's obviously a logic flaw. Yeah, obviously. that's just bad. All right, let's get into... Wait, before we do that, speaking of logic flaws, just while we're talking on the women, Natalia, all right, so her, whatever it was, her left knee was wrapped up in the match. Backstage, everyone noticed. Her right knee was iced and wrapped. <laughs> obviously a massive logic flaw. But do you think it's a logic flaw? Or do you think they're purposely telling the story that she's faking it, I mean, it so could, that she can win money in the bank. It could be if they put it back up on the screen or even after the fact, if somebody alerted them and then they go, well, hey, we'll use this. That could be smart. But no, I think it's just continuity errors because they don't care. Really? Okay. They just I, don't I, care. I, I'm actually giving them the benefit of the doubt on it. All right. Believe it or not. I want to go to the last man standing WWE championship match now, even though this should be the main event. It could be the main event. It's time for it to be the main it event. It should be the main event. I think the men's match I'm a little bit more intrigued by in terms of money in the bank to see who wins. So AJ, Shinsuke Nakamura should be the main event. Could be, deserves to be all of those things. Adam, it's a lot like we're going to talk about Gargano and Champa coming up in the sense that like it's 
another stipulation match when personally I want to see how great of an actual match they can do, but that's another side argument. So under the guise of last man standing, I didn't hate how SmackDown ended this week with Shinsuke going back to the well with a low blow on Jeff Hardy and sort of painting that final picture that this is what I'm going to do to AJ now that it's not illegal. I'm kind of down with that. I'm kind of down with this feud. I was up in and out at times. I'm back in because of how good Shinsuke. I mean, Shinsuke in, on the blue brand is arguably operating better than anyone over the last couple of months, and that's you know that's that's not much of an argument. He's fantastic. I think this is the time you have him win it because going into SummerSlam, if you tell me my options for this belt is a rematch with AJ, where AJ goes over on top, or Daniel Bryan against Shinsuke. Yeah, heck yeah, let's do it. Shinsuke's got to have the belt because he's too good right now as a heel. He's almost outperforming AJ week to week. He deserves the belt. He deserves the belt. If there's an opportunity, I really thought the opportunity to put the title on him was WrestleMania. It was built up enough. I mean, there wasn't really a storyline, but I almost wish he would have low blowed, won the title. And they could have drawn this out and AJ could have won it back. Yes. Like, I don't I don't I don't get the freaking reasoning. It doesn't Well, make I think sense. they may do it in reverse. If this is the last stop, then they kind of did that well, there's not because, and it's a crutch WWE uses. There's the guaranteed rematch. So maybe that does happen. And then maybe AJ gets his rematch at Extreme Rules. And due to Extreme Rules, whichever one they choose for the rematch, which would be number six at this point, um, maybe, you know, Nakamura is able to retain again. So, I, I, but I, he, they have to put the title on him at this point. Otherwise, what has been the point of this feud? Yes, yes they turn Nakamura, Nakamura heel after the fact. That's fantastic. Okay. But. It's all low blows, and you have two of maybe right now the top 20 best wrestlers in the world a couple of years ago, two of the top five, right? Just low blowing each other, slapping each other in the face. It's been underwhelming. They need to pay it off. Last man standing, I think, there's elements of extreme that can be in there, but for the most part, it's a wrestling match. It really should be. And if they keep to that and they allow the action to end in the ring, right, and we don't get... I forgot what it was. It was like, I think it was a crushed Randy Savage match or something where like someone got strung up or, or got like a, uh, like a, a device like planted on their chest so they couldn't get up so they couldn't stand for the 10 count. As long as we don't get an ending like that and we get a real ending, yeah, but it can't I think be it's a real be match good. without the inherent drama that comes with near falls. I know you can do a near fall 10 count or that, You're right. but. I don't know. It's a little bit. Uh, it's where they're they're kind of handicapping. So that does lead me to believe that we could see this as a SummerSlam rematch. But I don't know. We'll see. I mean, they've been handic- they've been handicapping the whole feud though. Yeah, they have. They have. It's it's really it's it's kind of demoralizing. That's why where... I want them to have the five star classic in a regular match with AJ coming back to regain the belt at SummerSlam or Daniel Bryan subbing in and being in that same role. You know, like that's fine. I'm with you, but I think we're of agreement that it's just put the title on Nakamura. It would be cool to have a heel champion, a real heel champion, which we really haven't had since Mahal. And I mean, on either brand, because even though Lesnar's a heel, he's not really a heel. People cheer for him, you know? So we haven't really had a heel world champion since Mahal. And we know how that was. It wasn't, he wasn't really a heel. Like, no, people hated him because he sucked, not necessarily because he was being a heel. Um, so I think it is time for Nakamura to get it. He's delivering better promos. He's getting his point across more and better. And I agree it's time. But moving on from there, last match, which may main event, ultimately. I mean, it's you know, called it's, Money in the Bank, so it's not. it wouldn't be a problem if it did main event. No, it, it wouldn't be. A, no, I, I think in terms of the main event picture in the conversation earlier, just real quick, I just want AJ and Nakamura to be the last important singles match. Yes. Because they might do a buffer. You know, it might be the third to last match. But it either needs to be the last match on the card or the, like the third to last match is what I'm trying to say. 
Anyway, WWE Championship match, or sorry, men's Money in the Bank ladder match. I had it switched here on our, our card. Uh, from the red brand from Raw, Braun Strowman, Finn Balor, Bobby Roode, and Kevin Owens against the SmackDown foursome of The Miz, Rusev, Samoa Joe, and one member of The New Day. So there is a lot to unpack here. First up, which New Day member will be in the match? It's, it has to be Big E. It should be Big E. They better do Big E because you want to believe that Big E, Big e can win this. And, you know, we've, we talk ad nauseum how much he deserves a singles push and deserves a chance at the belt. They would be so hilarious as a trio with this briefcase that I hope. So if I'm picking as a fan, I want Big E to win it. I want him to be the one of the three that gets in there. I don't think he's going to win it, but they got to go that direction. So uh, the only thing for me is I don't want to see Kofi. And I love Kofi. And he's amazing in ladder matches. But he's been in a billion of them. And he's the oldest one of the three. So I, I, the argument I would make for Big E is we want him to get the push. But if you look at the competitors in this match, you have Rusev, Samoa Joe, Strowman, and Owens. That's four big dudes. Owens, different, you know, a little bit different. But four big dudes in that match. Putting a fifth out of eight, you're not getting the high flyers that you really need. So I'm totally okay if Xavier Woods is, is the extra guy because he's totally capable, and it would be cool to see him in a single spot. That's fair. You only have one flyer in Finn, so that that is a fair point, uh, definitely. Now, I think they've overplayed their hand on the Braun can't be beaten thing here. And, and it's not that they shouldn't have because Braun should be presented that he can't be beaten. So I'm much happier than to see Braun lose by pinfall to somebody on the road to this match. But I think it's been so overplayed that he's not going to win this here. And maybe he shouldn't. No, he shouldn't. He 100% shouldn't. He should not win this. He 100% shouldn't, and he won't. My pick is this. What Money in the Bank often does, you never really get the guy that you want. So I think it's a bit of a failure that Daniel Bryan is not in this match because I think it would have made the match feel bigger. Brian, Brian, it's an eight-man ladder match with a guy coming back from concussion problems. Come on. No, no, come on. He, you see some of the, the bumps he's taking? Don't, don't, don't play. Not like, not, not a ladder to the face. Yeah, or, but you or don't have to, you don't have to take insane bumps. There's a way to do uh, it. Without I'm okay it. with him not being in that. So I want him in there so that the, the fan atmosphere is, is like, he might win it. He, I mean, Brian with the briefcase would be amazing. But my point is the guy you really want to win it, like a Daniel Bryan never does. Right. The guy that has no chance, like sometimes our truth ends up in this match. He's never going to win it either. You're not going to get a Zack Ryder winning it right at this point. It's always end up a safe pick. And I think the safest pick here is Samoa Joe because there's a guy that they don't have big title plans for but does need something to validate how elite he truly is. He's, he acts like a champion out there except for the haircut this week. I know you didn't like that. The haircut's atrocious. Uh, <laughs> but I'll just say Samoa Joe should win it here. It's always better in a heel's hands. I'm sick of mid-level people winning it who need to be elevated. Let's put it in the hands of somebody who can diabolically pick the perfect time to cash it in and screw everybody over. Come on, Samoa Joe. You got to win this thing. So you nailed it. It's the, the person in the spot that you're talking about, the Daniel Bryan spot, is Finn Balor. They're going to tease him winning on one or two occasions. The fans are going to lose their crap. And Rusev. He'll get a big pop when they tease that. Ru- Rusev, Rusev, yes. But, Daniel, but Finn Balor more so. Because he's the smaller guy. He's going to be doing... Coupe de Gras and, and, and you know, topes and, and jumps off the ladder throughout the entire match. He is the signature, you know what? He's the signature star of this match. Even with Strowman getting the reaction he does, Finn Balor is the one that the fans should get behind. And you're right. That's why it's not going to happen. I think the only disaster, there is one disastrous choice, Bobby Roode. Outside of him, everyone else, I can find a silver lining for why it works, even if it is Xavier Woods. I can find a reason why that's cool. Because it works. With New Day, they have... 
they have something to do. They can help him win the title. They could turn heel. Who the hell knows? There's something to happen there. But I think besides Balor and you know besides those guys, it comes down to three people: Kevin Owens, The Miz, or Samoa Joe. It has to be one of those three. I like Kevin Owens having it and being a mouthpiece, being able to work the mic. Same with Miz. Same with Joe. I hate to agree. I it's Samoa Joe. Like he it should is. be the one who wins it because you have faces and styles and possibly Daniel Bryan who could hold the title coming soon. And Joe would be the perfect person to take it off one of them after a grueling match, lock him in the coquina clutch, and that's it. The, if this match happens after the title match, I think the winner will go a long way to determining who wins. So, for example, if Nakamura wins and he's a heel on SmackDown and they're going to have a SmackDown person one win, well, then things change. My point is, I think the result of the WWE Championship match, whether it's heel or face, is going to go a long way to determining whether heel or face wins this. That's all I'm trying Very to say. Very interesting. I don't think we see cash-ins on this night. I don't want to see cash-ins on this night. Keep the, the, the cases. Make them feel and act like a real championship. Let's see that happen. That is your Money in the Bank preview. With Money in the Bank out of the way, BC, and that is, I mean, we'll, we'll decide whether it's loaded or not, but it is a long card. It's going to be an interesting show to watch, you know what we are excited about. NXT TakeOver Chicago, the night before Saturday night, obviously in the Windy City. Right now, it's a five-match card. And what's a little strange leading into this pay-per-view is we don't have some names on it that you would assume would be on an NXT TakeOver card. No EC3, no Adam Cole. But what we do have is five matches, three of the four titles on the line, um, and a second part of a major rivalry, arguably the best rivalry that WWE's had in, over the last 18 months. Let's start off with the NXT Tag Team Championship, the Undisputed Era. That's going to be Roderick Strong and Kyle O'Reilly defending against Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch. What do you think? I think this is the, uh, and look, you five-match card for now. There's another episode of NXT, obviously, tonight as we record this on Wednesday. You, may, you made me see something else. This is the, the the match I'm the least excited for. Not a strong story to build it, and certainly I just don't consider Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch anything more than workers, anything more than bodies. They're not going to win the title here because what the Undisputed Era is, we talk about it, they're this generation's potential at a four horsemen, and they're sort of, they sort of swagger and carry themselves like that. They're more horsemen than they are NWO, if you think about it. They got to keep the belts. Doesn't mean we won't be entertained. Doesn't mean Adam Cole, baby, won't have a role in this. But am I fired up for Oni Lorcan? Heck no. And you know this, man. Yeah, I, I understand. You know, the IWC loves these guys, Oni Lurkin and Danny Burch, but I don't. They're, they're guys. And I'm not being insulting. They just are. Like, I don't necessarily know why I'm supposed to be excited at this match or feel that these two are really deserving of being in the spot. And again, it's nothing against them personally. But I would have loved to have seen Undisputed Era, Street Profits, Heavy yes. Machinery. Yes. Any of these other teams that exist on this show. Stakes and weights. Yes, that's what I'm talking yeah. about. And, and I'm not saying that any of them should beat Undisputed Era. No, Undisputed Era really should hold these titles for an extended period of time. But what are we doing? And they've already announced Undisputed Era, you know, facing British Strong Style at the UK tournament and getting a, a, a defending their titles at that as well. So I don't necessarily know what we're doing here. I will say this is the least interested I am in a match in TakeOver since, like, 2016, 15, like it's really not a great match. And they right, may surprise. But the, luckily, the other four are strong, and we are still in that run where we don't know if this is the greatest era in NXT history. It might be. And I think overall, this card really strong let me, on paper. Let me say this. If they pull this card off as like an A card or an A show somehow, 
then NXT is like the king of the mountain, even over NJPW. Because this this card is nowhere near as strong as I, I don't I don't believe that. Four matches outside of the opener we just mentioned. Those four matches I think match up with anybody. Think All right, let's get, to, let's get to them then. NXT Women's Championship, Shayna Baszler defending against Nikki Cross, held back from moving over to the main roster with Sanity. Now she's getting a title opportunity against Baszler. Do you think Baszler gives up the title here? I don't. I do think, though, because when you know how thin that division is, that this is the beginning. This is the beginning of a, of a real feud that should and could go months, multiple takeovers. There's just nobody else. I mean, well, let me give it, let me say that. They're building up Lacey Evans very strong. I think she has a bright future. The same, of course, can be said for Bianca, Bianca Belair that we talked about we both like a lot. But there's nobody on the level of Baszler, maybe with the exception of Kyrie Sane. Okay, maybe, okay. <laughs> maybe I take that back, Adam. Maybe that's a little not as, maybe it's a little bit deeper than I originally thought. There, it's not that bad. My point is this: if anybody can make Shayna Baszler look weak or scared, which are two things that are just not part of her vocabulary because of how incredibly strong she's been booked and how she's lived up to the booking every step of the way, certainly Cross would be that only one where you'd be like, okay, I could see that. It teased maybe Baszler going a little too far and showing how scared she is. But look, Nikki Cross is a rabid mess. I get that. I just don't remember Nikki Cross turning face. Like in your eyes, is she a face now or is she a beloved heel? What do you what do you get the feeling of? No, she's now a face because over the last couple of weeks, she's tried to like take Dakota Kai under her wing and have her not be scared of Baszler building up her confidence, so on and so forth, which is a weird position for her to take. But I like her as a face because. You can cheer for the craziness, right? And yeah. she's and because she's a face, she, remember what I said to you like six months ago. The reason I didn't like Nikki Cross is she was too crazy. Like it was so over the top. Okay. Now it's toned down a little bit because she's a face. So now she's able to talk and, and explain herself. And we're hearing her voice and her unique accent, which is kind of a cool part of the character as well. Previously, it was just screaming and stuff. So I really like the direction they're going with her. And what's interesting, BC, I mean, you mentioned a lot of other people in this women's division. But they're all heels, right? Bianca Belair is a heel. Um, I mean, Kyrie Sane's not, but Bianca Belair is a heel. Lacey Evans is a heel. They, they keep changing her gimmick. Apparently, they're testing something else out uh, in house shows, a different type of gimmick for her that's also a heel. So outside of Kyrie Sane, who compared to Shayna Baszler and even Dakota Kai and, and Nikki Cross is relatively diminutive. She's not very big. Um, this women's division is in flux right now, but I think it's for that reason Baszler has to retain. She has to, because I, I, th I certainly think Cross has title potential. And I guess ultimately what I was saying on the lack of depth is no one else outside of Sane really screams title potential than Cross. In my mind, personally, I mean, look, just go back and watch that last women's standing match with Asuka, where Cross absolutely leaped at the idea that this is a future star. Go back and watch the multiple women's matches at TakeOvers last year, where she's going through tables and she's showing you that She's going to end up with this belt. It won't be here. It shouldn't be here. But I want to see what they can do storyline-wise because physically I think they're going to shine. It's going to be fantastic. Cross will take the bumps. Baszler will do her heel stuff, which is great. It's great. What Baszler's doing to me is simple and great. That match a couple weeks ago in NXT that I talked about with Dakota Kai, great. I just want to see where they're going with the story here. Is Baszler going to keep being scared? What's the progression? Very open and interested on this. For sure. Now the next match... I am putting it third in our rundown here in hopes that they don't open the show with it because I want to build up to this match. Ricochet against Velveteen Dream. For me, BC, coming out of TakeOver New Orleans, which, you know, you and I were both there, I think it's as perfect of a pay-per-view type of event as you could possibly get. Well, the stars of that show, especially in that first match, um, were Velveteen Dream and Ricochet. I cannot be, I have not been more excited for any match in NXT than this. And that includes 
every match on that TakeOver New Orleans card because these are the two guys that I think WWE legitimately has something in. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, these are the two stars of the future for not just NXT, but the entire company, rightfully so. I want this to be the main event. It doesn't deserve to be, certainly not storyline or importance. But to me, this is my main event. It could, should, would, will, has to steal the show on this night. Physically, they could steal the show just fooling around. They can F around and get a triple-double here because these guys are really that good. But what I really loved is what I talked about, the hashtag Urban Speak last week, Adam, because they gave real trash talk that people in urban situations give. Yeah, how about that? No, that's awful. What a hor- what a misstep and a horrible way to sum that up. But that urban speak, however, if we're on the subject, really gets the juice going because you feel like it's real, like they're not acting, like it's not scripted. Obviously, it is. But when you mix that with the physicality and the potential, uh, I don't know if I want this feud to go on for like a year and a half or if I just want a little taste right now for like two months and then they go their separate ways, but they keep coming back to each other along the way. Oh, wow. Do I? I I mean, who's going to win? I don't know. I like when the heel wins first. So dream is probably my pick here. But man, I just want to see it. I just want to I just want to pop. You know what I'm saying? I just want I just want to hear Royal Ronaldo going sick. I just want to get all kinds of fired up. Oh, go ahead. What do you got for me? Yeah, you were searching for the more Ronaldo uh, sound drop there. I could see it. For me, I want to see Velveteen Dream win a match, win a feud, because he just hasn't, and he doesn't need to do it clean. You can still protect Ricochet, have him, you know, do something dastardly, a low blow, or really whatever, um, whatever you can do, put on feet on the ropes, whatever the case. But I want to see Velveteen Dream win a match, and I don't think Ricochet will get damaged at all for losing to him. They have been practicing this match on the house show circuit for NXT, NXT live events whatever you want to call it. And some of the glimpses of the things that I would assume they're going to do in this match are out of this world. I don't think it's going to compare to Omega Okada or even uh, Takahashi Bone Soldier, you know, from Best of Super Juniors, that match I love so much. But I think it's going to be a fantastic 4.5 plus star match that is going to steal the show in Chicago. Is there any reason, though, that that trips would not want them and not let them steal the show. That's the, you know, if there's one thing in the sauce that the ingredient that we don't get to see, that's the, the, the one of my biggest I don't know, stumbling blocks. Curiosities is when the agents get together and book the match with the wrestlers. I think at least in WWE, certainly not in NJPW where everyone's going for eight stars. Every time they go out there, I think in NJPW, there's a hierarchy. They're like, if you're opening the show or you're number two or you're number three, I'm sorry, you can't do a five-star match. You're going to ruin things. You're going to throw off the balance of things. You can do a five-star match when we let you at the blow-off point in the main event. I know that's that's not real, but sometimes it feels that way. Do you think that, one, it's known, Ricochet and Velveteen Dream know the first match of our feud, probably the first or second match or third match on the card, we're not going to do five stars, or are they going for it in their heads and maybe the agent is sort of pulling them back? Where do you think we're at with that? I don't think it's. I don't think anyone's pulling them back at any point. I think... The, main the roster. Difference, main roster they do. You know they do. Oh, main roster is different. That's based on booking and stuff. I mean, AJ Styles, Shinsuke Nakamura could go out. They don't have to do the same match they did in NJPW, but any night they want, if they sat down for a couple hours, they could do a five-star match. Planned it out, did it right. So th- they're being held back by storyline and maybe some of the things they're allowing to happen. But in NXT, we saw it in New Orleans. Dude, there were two five-star matches on the show, and you could have made an argument for another, right? Like, sure. almost almost Aleister Black. Like, you could have made an argument that was 4.75, five stars. So I don't think anyone is told to help hold back in NXT, but I think what the best wrestlers in the world do, we discussed kind of earlier with Kenny Omega and Kaz Okada, 
they always tried to give the best possible match when given the opportunity. And when they hit that five-star level, the next match has to be better. So that's when you get 5.25, 5.5, 6. Those are the best wrestlers in the world doing it. Ricochet, many will argue, is in that conversation. I don't believe that. I also don't have enough of experience watching him to really say that. But talent-wise and athletic ability-wise, you can say that. And Velveteen Dream is one of the youngest rising stars in WWE right now, and maybe one of the fastest growing superstars in WWE history. So I think there is an opportunity to, to put something like that together. You just said, though, it's got to be better. You got to go to 5.25. They don't do that in WWE. There's no 5.25 in WWE. There's a little bit of a soft ceiling there. A little bit. A little bit. Well, that's, I mean, that's one man's scale and, and where he's willing to go and not willing to go. So I, I don't necessarily know that that's true. I mean, look, Gargano, um, Alistair Black, not Alistair Black, Gargano Almas, right, a couple takeovers ago, you could have called that 5.5 stars. I mean, it wasn't. It was a solid five. It was a solid five. It was the perfection. Match. That well, wasn't look, in the upper room. It wasn't in the upper room. But it the was- truth is, the truth is this. In order to really go beyond five stars, it has to be some level of insane. A little bit insane, 5.25. Oh, wow. Hit the wrong button there. I think you're right. Uh, uh, so let me ask you, you a know. question on that, it said, on that question of insanity. Do you have to be willing to risk your life? Because sometimes... Honestly, that's what we love about NJPW. I said that earlier. Sometimes we love when these guys try to break their neck. Do you have to be willing to do that to get that extra quarter star from Uncle Dave? And I don't look. We put we, we give Dave Meltzer way too much credit in stock, but I, he set the template, so we reference. Him I don't think it. we give him. I don't think we give him too much credit. I think his scale, um, and we've mentioned this previously. It's a fine, you know, barometer to say, okay, this is where Dave has it. And do we agree or disagree? Do we think it's ridiculous? I mean, we both kind of have discussed previously on this show and before um, going past five stars at any point is kind of jumping the shark on a scale, right? Like that should be the top. So maybe you should never have given a match five stars. You know, if but well, but I do agree, then, though, NJPW changed the game. They changed well, the Kenny Omega and Kaz Okada in particular and Tanahashi changed the game. So and I yes. and Osprey, they, they, they've changed. So the you game. do. So you do need to have that flexibility, but I, look, there's nothing wrong with a four-star match. There's nothing wrong with a 4.5-star match or a flat five. And the fact that NXT has so many guys who can give five-star matches and has people coming in who can give five-star matches, Keith Lee as an example, like there's no problem with the quality of wrestling on NXT right now. And I think this match with two guys who are relatively, quote-unquote, new to the brand are going to prove that. This guy's like, Bullet Club's fine. Nothing to see here. Keep the show moving. No, NXT's fantastic. It's, it, it's great. It's great. All right. What do we got? What do we got next? Because this, this card is firing me up. So NXT Championship, we have Aleister Black making his first uh, pay-per-view, whatever, takeover title defense against Lars Sullivan, NXT homegrown talent. If you haven't heard Triple H say that 10 times this week, you just heard me say it <laughs> for the first time. Um, I'll, I'll, honestly, this is my least anticipated NXT title match in a long time, probably since the uh, Drew McIntyre match. Was that against Bobby Roode when he won the yes, title? Yes, that was not anticipatory. So, yes. so this is my least anticipated since then. What about Well, we, we talked a little bit about this last week, so I'm not going to run it back. But, uh, but Lars Sullivan has overachieved in the idea of me accepting him as a legitimate title contender that I want to see to the point that I think this has the – look, it's not going to steal the show. Not on a card with Gargano Ciampa and Ricochet Dream. But short of that level, I think Black Sullivan, at the end of the day, you're going to go, wow, that match was way better than I thought it was. Because I think physically, Sullivan's a hell of a worker. He can do a lot that you shouldn't be able to. And Black really hasn't 
had the forum yet to really show us exactly what he can do. He's been the bigger man in a lot of a lot of matches. This time he's the smaller man. And the thing is, he can fly. He can do moonsaults. He can do some things. I want to see him in that role. I want to see him in the bump and grind role. I want to see him, you know, coming from underneath here. This could get very interesting. I think ultimately Lars Sullivan will be one and done at the title level. I don't imagine he'll end up carrying the title. I do think he does have a decently bright future even on the main roster because he has the size and look that you can't fake he's got you know what I mean I, I think he does does he suffer from the, the giantism that a lot of the uh, you know rest the big show Andre the Giant some some MMA fighters like Bigfoot Silva has suffered I don't know if he does I felt like I've read that somewhere have you ever read that I don't think that he does I could definitely be wrong but he doesn't seem to me to be anywhere near the size of any of those guys it's just that NXT doesn't necessarily have a lot of big guys that's fair I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if when Keith Lee steps in and you see them face-to-face that you're like, eh, Laura Sullivan ain't that big. Don't forget, standing next to Killian Dane, who is big, you know, he's rotund, he's not necessarily tall, um, Laura Sullivan didn't look that big to me. They were almost standing eye-to-eye, eye if I remember correctly. Well, I looked so, it up. He, he does have, uh, you know, from the internet. You, I don't know if you can trust the internet, but the internet says he has the same pituitary issues as Andre the Giant. Oh, okay. And that would make sense. And I think he's got a look that'll work and he can move on the main roster. But in terms of the golden period of his NXT run, I think this is his ceiling. And I think he's going to prove and show you that he's worthy. You know what he can't do? He can't cut a promo at all. And he's kind of suffering from a little bit of old school Cody Rhodes speech impediment type of deal. Again, not a deal breaker, you know, not not criticizing him for it. But it was obvious when he's trying to cut a promo, a heel promo against the champion Aleister Black. It's just like, uh, it's kind of tough to buy this. He, need, he needs a Paul Ellering, right? Or a Paul Heyman, basically. He, he, yeah, he needs someone for him. But yeah, this, this to me says, look, they have plans for the SummerSlam takeover, you know, uh, NXT takeover Brooklyn, what, 27? And whatever Aleister Black's opponent or whoever his opponent is going to be, they have plans and they didn't want to throw someone else into the picture right now. So Lars Sullivan, big dude, deserves an opportunity. They were able to tell the Ricochet Velveteen Dream story through Lars Sullivan by Dream, obviously, turning on his quote-unquote tag team partner for that handicap match. So it works out. But, I mean, I cannot imagine any scenario in which they take a title off Aleister Black unless he got into some, like, trouble, you know, (laughs) either with the company or with the law or something. Other than that, like, this guy should have the belt. Like you said, it's going to be interesting to see him work from under. And I also like that you didn't correct me when I said belt, even though I correct you every single time. Uh, It's it's still a belt to me. You know that it is. Come on. It's still divas to me, too. No, just kidding. Keep it rolling. Keep it rolling. Now this is the big one. This is the big one now, Adam. Main event. You think it's a main event. You think. It has to be. What are you going to main event? Black Sullivan? I, maybe I'll maybe I'll text trips and just be like, hey, Ricochet Dream is your future. Put it on last, bro. Just do it. <laughs> He's not just doing that. Do no, this this will be the main event of the evening. It is, after all, a Chicago street fight. Johnny Gargano <laughs> against Tommaso Ciampa. Part two, since they're split up. Can this possibly live up to the first match? You mean when you say first match, you mean New Orleans? Yeah. Yeah, I think it can, because even though I really like the first match and certainly say it's in that window of four to five stars. I probably, you know, four and a quarter, four and a half, whatever your preference was. Oh, that was that was a five star match. That's I don't not... think that was a five star match. Dude, watch I, it again. And, and, and this is not a, look, this is not a negative slant. This is not telling you like it stunk. I'm just saying it had the emotion that you'd want. I just think that it was kind of held down by the stipulation in it. And because of that, it put a softer ceiling on where that match could have gone. I have no problem with anyone saying that was five and they loved it and it moved them. That's great. I felt a little empty watching that match that it's missing that missing ingredient. So from my scale, from Uncle 
BC scale. I think they actually can exceed this. But I want to give NXT and, and Trips a shout-out here, a high-five, because in theory, Adam, in storyline, this feud should have been over after Mania, right? You told, I mean, Ciampa was allowed to kick his butt for a long period of time. It seemed that they told it already, the ending. Ciampa taps out, Gargano wins, the hero comes home, unsanctioned match, gets his job back. The fact that they kept this going and created enough of a new wrinkle here, and the wrinkle being that Gargano has been driven past the point of sanity. He's been driven to the point where he hurt his own wife. He's, in theory, putting his marriage on the line to keep fighting and fighting Champa. that not only is that really good, it's opened the doors of, not only should it not have ended then, don't end now, keep this going. And to keep this going, you need Champa, the heel, to win to set up the ultimate payoff, which is the one match we haven't gotten from them, a chance at a 30-minute main event traditional wrestling match to see if they can thrill us. They've already thrilled us in the pain weapons way in the last match. And this match, being a Chicago street fight, I feel like they're kind of going back to the bank, going back to the well a little too soon. But that shows me they have plans. And if those plans end with Gargano Champa at Brooklyn 4, whatever the heck it is, at SummerSlam weekend, and it's a traditional match and they just go for it, Heck to the yeah. I'm on board for this thing to continue. I think Champa's got to get an actual victory. I think it's time you creatively use Candice in the in the well, I don't think she has to go to Champa's side. I don't think you got a wife swap here. I just think they've opened up a new door that I didn't think was there. They turned the handle. I said, I'm about to step right through this. I'm ready. I'm following you on this journey. Cause I think that they have a story to tell in a real match that they can't tell in a last man Chicago street fight match, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of let you come around to this realization on your own, but you criticized the first one for having a stipulation. And the second one, the stipulation is literally the exact same thing. There's nothing that they can do in this match that they couldn't do in the prior one and vice versa. Chicago Street Fight and an unsanctioned match are the exact same thing. The difference is there's going to be maybe the use of more weapons here just by basis of that's what you expect in a street fight, right? So I don't think adding weapons puts a, is going to, make a match that I thought was a five-star match previously better. To me, weapons are a little bit of a crutch. Now, if you use one in a smart way, such as, you know, Chris Jericho took a piece of a table, you know, that Tetsuya Naito, or sorry, Tetsuya Naito took a piece of a table that Chris Jericho threw him in, like lifted it off the table and threw it at him, right, as a flying object. Okay, that's awesome, right? And and if you're going to use an announce table or a steel chair, okay. But once you get into kendo sticks and trash cans and all this stuff, if they go to that level, to me, it's a crutch, and these guys don't need that. Just like AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura, they don't need to have a last man standing match. They just need a really good match, and everyone's going to buy it. Yeah, right? both are kind of so, booked in reverse with the potential of, of if, if both feuds keep going, you could end up with that final match. I think on Tommaso Ciampa and Gargano, though, don't they need a, st- a stipulation at the end? And I don't mean a st- an in-match stipulation. I mean a result stipulation. Somebody's third gotta- match. Whenever that happens, and I do think there has to be three, because two just doesn't make sense. There, you either do one or three at this point, right? So Especially you're not going to count have... the CWC match as part of this? No, I, no, that's years ago. It doesn't count. They were tagging. I'm talking post tagging, okay? Um, who won that match, by the way? Gargano? I think so. It's a, it's so good that it didn't matter. Right. Okay. So yeah, I I think it was Gargano. I remember Champa being upset. I think. Um, but there has to be a third match, and if that if there is a third match and there is a stipulation in the third match, you're talking probably about a loser leaves town, but that's kind of almost what, what the first one was here. Oh, okay, I just think that one needs to be just Iron Man match. Simple. Who's the best? Two out of three, you know, 
either two out of three falls or an Iron Man match. We saw it, obviously, with Okada Omega. Not that everything needs to be that, but that stipulation, that type of stipulation, is a solid one. And I will just a little quick nugget here, because I did mention Styles Nakamura. There was reports out there, I forget who it was, might have been PW Insider, but it was definitely someone reputable that said that NXT was going to go with a last man standing match here. But because WWE wanted to use it for Styles Nakamura, they pulled it and changed this to a Chicago street fight. So you did done back to back last minute. Was no. What was the last one? The last one was unsanctioned. Oh, unsanctioned. Match. Uh, yeah, I get it. I just think to go away. Yeah, we already been down this road. Whatever. It's gonna entertain. I don't think the first one was five stars. I'd be happy if this one did a little bit better than that. I think Ciampa needs to win. Do you agree with me on that? He has to win here. He has to win this. The last one was four and a half stars until the finish, and the finish made it five stars. It was great. It's missing. It was missing a little touch. A little touch. Little that finish. There. That finish. Okay. It was not as good as Okada Omega four, but it had the same psychology callbacks. It went down that same path where you can say they were really smart in using the brace, having him sit next to his former friend and look like he was consoling him, but he was so smart that he knew he would turn on him again. Okay. And he still tapped him out and he tapped him out quick. All right. I- that. That match was great. I'm not accepting you not calling that. You know, I think I have to do I'll call I'll call myself out on this. I think I have to rewatch it again with Moro's call because you obviously in in the arena you do miss something. You miss a certain element. You're not seeing what's being zoomed in on, right? You've you, never rewatched it? You haven't rewatched uh, Takeover New Orleans? I've watched parts of it. I haven't sit down oh and actually God. rewatched the whole card cuz everybody was of course everybody was like you got to hear Moro's call and everything. So I went back and I watched the ladder match. I went back and I watched snippets of other matches. I never went back and watched that whole epic match. So if if Moro's soundtrack is a big part of what made that five stars in your eyes, then I will pause my own opinion until I watch that and, and come back next week and talk about it. You'll tell me I'm right, because I always am. But anyway, yes, I, I, I'm with you. Ciampa needs to win. I, so basically what we're saying here is no title changes and a heel victory in the main event. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's NXT. That's your cards. Put to bed. That's what I'm saying. It's time. It's going to it's gonna entertain. It's going to be great. Every time they go out there now, I'm back at expecting them to one-up the card before, be the potentially the best card of the year, leave me just tingling with feels afterwards. And you know what? Because NJPW was so good this past weekend, I personally don't think Money in the Bank is going to be amazing. I think they, they just do what they want to do. They're making so much money. But NXT, I wonder if they're feeling that itch, that pressure, you know? Hey, everybody was talking about Okada Omega 4. Guys, as a group, you know, let's let's get a Paul Heyman speech here. Let's get back in the locker room and say, <laughs> we are the future. We are blah, blah, blah. Let's go out there and give it our all. What if we end up with like two 4.75ers on here? It's going to be a great night at the fights. As they, they say. No matter what happens, it's just the card is not loaded enough to outdo New Orleans. It's just it's not there. There's not three matches that are amazing. There's two that could be very good. That's how I look at it. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you the last part. You'd have to struggle to guess what would... Because you, you do really need three really strong, memorable matches for the small card. By small cards, I mean NXT has like five and six matches on here. You need something like that. I don't have... There's not a third. Unless Baszler and Cross tell an amazing story here that we don't see coming. There's not a third. All right, we got to get out of this preview for NXT and get back in to BC's favorite segment all the way around you know what i'm talking about hey let's re let's bloop, rewind then shall we oh my god oh pay-per-view rewind money in the bank weekend takes us back the silver king's choice of the 2013 
Money in the Bank card from Philadelphia. Silver King, what I did not know until I went back, was there were two Money in the Bank matches on this card. One for the World Heavyweight Championship, one in the main event for the WWE Championship, which is what you have chosen, the latter. Why did you choose this? Well, on this particular card, if you happen to watch the first one, which I hope you didn't, it was awful. So, you know, the, you talk about dr like drastic differences. The, I think that opened the show or it was one of the first matches. And the WWE Championship um, version of the Money in the Bank briefcase closed the show uh, way better. This match, let me just run down the list of combatants here. Randy Orton, Christian, CM Punk, Daniel Bryan, Rob Van Dam, and Sheamus. And this was in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So if that tells you, um, or that should tell you, I should say, how the crowd reacted to Rob Van Dam if you did not watch this along with us, which is really the point of this whole thing. So hopefully everyone saw it and knows exactly what I'm talking about. But I chose this match for a couple of reasons. Um, the action was incredible. It was not on par with that NXT North American Championship ladder match. I thought that exceeded it, but it was pretty close. Um, you had some great moves off the ladders. You had a fan favorite totally over in Daniel Bryan, another fan favorite playing a heel role in CM Punk. There were interferences in the match. There was some convoluted storytelling. And ultimately, we saw what is, in my opinion, one of the best moves to ever happen in a WWE ring um, to close the match. So I don't know where you want to start, but that is why I chose this particular match. On this That's particular what I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear your reasoning there. Uh, in terms of when we saw it, where we were in life, 2013 was a weird part time for me as a fan. I wasn't watching pay-per-views. I was, I was watching Raw People at work were keeping me in. They're like, you got to see The Shield this week. You got to see Daniel Bryan this week. I mean, this was a good time to be a WWE fan. I don't remember watching. I certainly remember the results. I certainly remember what happened. I don't think I ever watched this match start to finish, so I really enjoyed going back. Were you watching the product week to week when this came on? Yeah. Uh, there was a period of time from 2002 to 2005, I want to say, where I did not watch the product. I was in college. Um, I watched WrestleMania every year just out of habit and because it's WrestleMania, but I did not watch week to week. I did not know what was going on. I missed the entire build of John Cena, Randy Orton, and all those guys. By the time college was over, 2006 year, uh, I started, I had a little bit more time on my hands. I would DVR Raw and SmackDown, and I started watching those again, and I obviously just got right back into it. So I was a full-fledged uh, WWE watcher at this point, and I remembered this match. I had not seen it since I watched it live. I remembered it watching it back, but there were things that happened during the match, particularly at the end, yes. that caught me totally by surprise. No question. That I was like, oh yeah, I do remember this. Right. But and I didn't I didn't expect it ne necessarily when I chose this match initially. I, I remembered after the fact all these things happening. While I was watching the match, I didn't remember specifically the big reveal at the end. So it, it really kind of hit me like, oh yeah, this was that time. I really enjoyed it. The announcers, Michael Cole, JBL, and Jerry Lawler, called this match an all-star Money in the Bank match about 17 and a half times. In, sure. in theory, you look at the, you look at that rundown you said, guys like Orton, Punk, Brian, and specifically Punk and Brian, where they were in their careers at that time, was fantastic. And a far cry from that first match you mentioned for the w, for the World Heavyweight Championship, which was like an icy slop fest level, where yeah. Damian Sandow defeated Cesaro, Cody, Dean Ambrose, Fandango, Jack Swagger and Bad News Barrett certainly doesn't have that star power. But uh, you talk about this match. They teased before the start that Kane was supposed to have been a part of this. And then they showed footage of the Wyatt family taking him out on Raw Correct. or SmackDown recently. And they showed this like extended Wyatt family promo. I totally forgot what 
debuting Wyatt family promos were like on the main roster, holy crap, they were so much more grittier and cool than they were today. I got, I popped. That's probably the second biggest I popped for this whole card was seeing that right before the start of the match. I also felt the same way, and we're not going to do feel spots this week, so I'll say it now, with the Leo Rush promo that we saw this week on 205 Live, the vignette, where I'm like, man, I wish they went back to doing this. This is how you sell an audience on a superstar. If Andrade Cien Almas on SmackDown, they aired, they aired like two uh, promos just with, you know, Selena Vega and Andrade just saying, hey, we're really good and we're going to be on SmackDown soon and we're going to own SmackDown. Well, why don't you show me clips of this guy being awesome in the ring and like tell me a story <laughs> in the vignette. That's what we need from WWE. Yes. And that stuff that's low cost, easy to do, their video production we love, that they did not just before this match, but throughout this show. But yeah, Kane got injured, taken out of the match. And obviously, it was supposed to be a surprise. Nothing's a surprise really that often anymore in WWE. But that is why Rob Van Dam came out first and was announced All right, second. Let's talk about these int intros. I, my favorite part about Pay-Per-View Rewind is going back in time, seeing the intros, seeing the crowd reactions, seeing what the guys look like. It puts you back in a different place. And, you know, they mentioned this was the sixth ladder match for Christian, which felt like a big thing. They mentioned that Punk had a chance to become the first three-time winner of Money in the Bank ladder match, essentially making him the face of this match. I don't think anyone's ever won three, right? Is he still at two? Probably have the record or be tied with somebody at this point. I didn't look it Something up, but like that, that. that felt big coming in. And then you're getting 2013 prime early beard starting to grow thick Daniel Bryan, who came out to an absolutely massive pop. And what I think was his best shirt ever that I forgot he ever wore. It's his face on the front and over his eyes. It says respect the beard. That's a badass shirt that if they put it out there right now on WWE shop, I wouldn't even wait for it to get four ninety nine. <laughs> I'm not even a Daniel Bryan super fan. I probably would buy that for real price. Not the twenty seven ninety nine real price, but like the. Of course. 30% off sale, get it for 18 yeah, bucks. $16 plus shipping or whatever, yeah. I'm yeah, no, no no, question. RVD, you mentioned, came out to a massive pop in Philadelphia, the home of ECW. This is 43-year-old RVD. It's post-prime, like, greatest hits RVD, but he still had it. He still had it. And the crowd was so sick in chanting him. They chanted him to open the show. They chanted him before the match even was announced, you know, in that, in that little in-between time. You can hear him chanting in the background. They chanted him popped massive when he came out and he may have gotten the biggest pop it's him or brian or maybe it's cm punk did, did you get brian, a on who? um brian got the biggest pop if you don't count rvd simply because he was the most over superstar but everyone in that arena and this tells you about ecw in the east coast especially the nor northeast i should say area uh new york philadelphia obviously chicago cities like that no one forgets ecw People love it. RVD came out to a massive ovation. And when he did, you know, with the with the thumbs, Rob Van Dam, you know, uh, in the middle of the ring after like clearing house in like a ridiculous, like something a 43 year old should not have been able to do here. He cleared the house of the five other competitors with his entire old school moveset. <laughs> and I was like, what? Like this guy could still do it. It really makes me wonder. He's 48 now, I guess. What the hell could he do now? Like he couldn't do it all. Probably. Maybe not rolling thunder, but. He can do a lot. I like still. to see him get get back into shape for like one NXT match or something. You know, yeah. like bring him back in a in a main event yeah. or something like they did with Mickey James that one time, and it just turned out that she came but, back to the roster. But before we move on to other stuff, because I, I think it's going to get, I don't know if we'll have an opportunity to discuss it. Forget Pyro, okay? Everyone talks about WWE get, getting rid of Pyro and how it's ruined production value. Forget that. Give me back pay per view sets because this was a huge, yes. massive Money in the Bank set. It was like a big square with different colors and different LED screens. 
and it just gives the event a different feel. Like you see WrestleMania, right? Every year, we don't need that kind of set, but that says this is an important event. Well, they had like eight people. ambulances, right? They weren't they weren't ambulances on the outside, but there was like right. eight white trucks. Or I guess they were Brinks trucks in, in theory. Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. But the, if you want your events to just have a different feel, you're making so much money. Build a different set or reuse an old set, and we won't even remember. Just like do you know do something different. But it can't look generic Raw SmackDown every single pay per view you have at a minimum for the big five. They got to do something special. Yeah. Well, RVD came out and there was that cool spot early where the crowd's loving him so much that everybody turned on him and they attacked him. That was great. Right. Punk was the last guy to come out. You get really a classic post-prime Punk entrance. It's two years after the pipe bomb. He's got the hoodie on. He kneel, you know, sits down Indian style on the stage or Native American style. Maybe we're maybe we're woke at this point. We're gonna have to adjust that. But uh, mm-hmm. that that just felt. He still felt big. You know what I mean? He still felt like a monster deal. And the early standoff in this match was the first big almost chill bump moment when Punk and Brian steer across from each other and. Michael Cole says these were the two that were responsible for revitalizing the company in recent years. And then you stop and you think about it and you're like, holy crap, they are. And the crowd was going sick. And you've mentioned it many times that they both also left the company at about the same time and, you know, a year apart in terms of when they had their last match. And obviously, Brian waited another year before retiring. But, you know, that really hurt WWE and no one really truly outside of AJ filled that. And when I say fill that, the reason why they're so successful is you had one face, one heel, but both deeply, deeply connected with the fans in ways that even the Shield didn't do. And the Shield's amazing. And some members of the Shield came from the indie background, just like Punk and Brian. But the Shield feels a little artificial WWE, even though it's one of the coolest things that's ever happened yes. in wrestling. Punk yes. and Brian are originals. They are, you know, organic. The crowd in some ways helped made them. And when they had this moment and they faced off, it was like a kind of like a realization of all those things. Absolutely. Um, it kind of when I heard them say when I heard him say that, I was like, yeah, that's what I've been saying. Like it was it was nice to kind of have that memory be true because sometimes you remember things differently than they actually are. Like Randy Orton got a huge ovation in the match. RVD, obviously, as well, although he wasn't a full timer. But Punk and Daniel Bryan, they were it. And I don't say it in the way we use it. They were it for WWE in terms of actually mattering and and things fans wanted to see don't forget this isn't that far off from daniel bryan getting forced into the main event of wrestlemania you know and winning the title this is peak it really is and you forget what that reaction was what i loved about it though honestly the daniel bryan reaction hasn't changed today yes the fans go just as crazy for him and it's not because he just came back they were going just as crazy for him when he was general manager. And what it says to WWE is, look, if you want to push Roman Reigns, go ahead. If you want to push some of these other guys, go ahead. Daniel Bryan needs to be back, not right away, but leading into WrestleMania and Royal Rumble in the main event title picture as a signature star in WWE. Give the people what they want. What they want. Good early spot here. All six men on three ladders that were set up. All six reaching for the gold or the, the yep. briefcase, and Punk very geniusly just keeps swatting it away so the, the, so the case is flying back and forth. And Adam, you're big on details, on colors, haircuts, names, all that. This was the red Money in the, brief, Money in the Bank briefcase. To me, still the sexiest, still the best one they've ever had. Oh, no, absolutely not. The dark green or the gold ones are better. I mean, the, any, anything red or blue in WWE to the extent of like the Universal title or the SmackDown and Raw tag team titles is so ugly to me. 
make one black, one white, one gray, one silver, gold, whatever. We don't need to like like when they had the Divas Championship with like the bright pink stuff on the on the medal. We know they're women. Like you don't need to do that, right? The the women's titles right now, the blue and red. Come on, just stop doing it. But but <laughs> aside from that, I had I wrote the same note down. That was one of the smartest things I've ever seen in a ladder match because it wasn't just one tap away and then knocking them off the ladder. It was a prolonged like 25 seconds of Punk swatting this briefcase away and everyone else just getting really pissed off at him. And then them all like 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 they're at the top of a pyramid, barely hanging on, just collapsing off the ladders at the same time. I thought that was so smart. I loved it. First big spot comes just about the midway point. And I thought the first half was a little bit slow in building to that. It wasn't bad by any means. It just wasn't epic jumping off the screen. Then you get the first big spot, which is the RVD frog splash from the top of the tall ladder that was set up in the corner on top of Christian. I've got sound for this. And it was the first time that you're like, okay, we're going next level here because the crowd that we already established loves the crap out of RVD. And boy, did they pop for this. Big pop there, big moment, big move. RVD, which I always love, always sells the hell out of the fact that it hurts to deliver that move. And this one's certainly coming off from like 20-something feet. Great moment, great moment there. The sell, I think the sell of the five-star frog splash is the best sell of a finishing maneuver. Yes, yes, I love that. Uh, Daniel O'Brien went on a sweet run pretty soon yeah. after this where he's hitting suicide dives, he's hitting people with ladders, He Sheamus drops to the top rope, Daniel Bryan knocks him off with a ladder. He crashes through one below. This was this car wreck scene that was fantastic. But as DB, Daniel Bryan, attempts to win and set up the ladder, IC champion Curtis Axel is running out. And this is where the pay-per-view rerun always gets interesting. This is five years ago, this match. It feels a lot longer than five years ago. And when Curtis Axel of the Social Outcast and B-Team, and you always forget that he did, he was propped up for, for a certain amount of time, right? The son of Kurt Henning. He comes out, and my first instinct is like, what? Is he? Is this a continuation of that time he never made it out for the Royal Rumble and he got knocked out on his way? Like, what the <laughs> heck's going on right now? And then you're like, oh, Heyman was representing him. And then the storyline starts to come together, but that was a big turning point moment in this match. It was. That was not, not that particular moment, obviously, but this version of Curtis Axel was his re-debut, you know, as, you know, the legend. And, you know, um, I'm trying to remember if, he was Mike McGillicuddy to start. No, I know. I know he was Mike McGillicuddy to start, but I'm trying to remember if this was before or after he was in the group with Cody Rose and Randy Orton. This, I think, was uh, Rybaxel, because I think he was on this card with Rybaxel. So I think it was during that era where they were right. a tag team, right? He had the No, but I'm, I'm just trying to remember. I'm just trying to remember if this part of his career is before or after he was in the unit with Randy Orton. I think it was after. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that. I think it was after two. I'm, I'm just trying to remember which version of Curtis Axel this was, really, is what I'm trying to get at. But, yeah, he was Intercontinental Champion at the time, uh, being managed by Paul Heyman and really propped up strong by Paul Heyman. And when you saw him come out, you're led to believe, because they were teasing a little bit of tension maybe with CM Punk, because, you know, Heyman's best friend, and, and he was taking on more clients, and you're thinking, oh, he might mess with CM Punk. But, no, he goes after Daniel Bryan, and you're like, oh, that's strange. And then he's hanging out by the side of the ring afterward. And CM Punk gives him the go to sleep. And, and then, Heyman comes running out. Then we get Paul Heyman, and then the match gets fantastic. What the hell are you doing? 
So Payment goes sick in Curtis Axel's face. And then he does this really baby. This is why storytelling can be so good, right? When Nick says it's Shakespearean, he starts leading a baby face chant of CM Punk where he's banging on the apron from the outside. And I'm like, where the heck is this going? This is beautiful stuff. It really is fantastic. It's Paul Heyman almost at his best. Like we always think of his best being cutting promos. But in the last like month, I saw him do this and I saw him run in at ECW, uh, I think it was called One Night Stand, the John Cena Rob Van Dam match. Yes. Screaming at you know, screaming at Rob to cover Cena so we can count the one, two, three. Like anytime you get Paul in a in a situation like this, um, it just goes to show like what managers can do and what someone with his caliber of talent, right, can really do to help advance a storyline in WWE. It's something they're really missing right now. And after this happens, right, he sends Punk into the ring and he gets the opportunity to climb the ladder and go get the briefcase. But as that's happening, what does Heyman do? Jumps into the ring, takes a ladder, and smashes it onto CM Punk. Not once, not twice, either three or four times. Totally turns on Punk. And what P- the, at that time, they people did not know, WWE did not know he was going to quit like six months later. But it really was, if you look at the arc of his storyline on his way out of WWE, that moment was really the beginning of the end for him. That's a great point. That's why I said, you know, when he came out and got that pop to start, I felt like this was like the peak of post-prime punk. The peak of punk is is the build toward the the uh, the pipe bomb, and obviously the pipe bomb itself. Right. Post-prime punk, this is the, the, the last mountaintop, and it's really interesting time-wise to say that. And storytelling is so good. When Heyman turns on him, and you mentioned those ladder slams, those were hard and intense ladder slams. And that last one, that had to be a hard way, right? This is the PG era, right? We changed PG in 2008. He hardwayed the crap yes. out of CM Punk to where the ref instantly puts on the gloves and kind of comes sneaking around the corner. That was a perfect cut. Blood, uh, Punk was like the Crimson Mask, you know? That was absolutely fantastic moment. Like I said, after that moment happens, I'm like, oh, yeah, of course that happened. I was allowed to get marked out in that moment, forgetting that that was exactly the time of when Heyman turned on him in that moment. So watching that again this past week, I popped massive. That was such a great moment, such a great way to tell the story. And it leads to the finish, which which is pretty damn good. Yeah, um, I forget who who was at the top of the ladder. It was uh, it was RVD looking to get the hometown right. victory there. So not the hometown, but the ECW center centric victory there gets to the top so, of the ladder, and then and then yeah, let me let me do this because this is what I'm gonna say. I think this is one of the best ends to a match in terms of like a single move type of end to a match, if that makes sense, in WWE history, because I think this. And I, I really, this went into my head. It ingrained it in my head while watching this late last night. I think this is the greatest finisher in WWE history. Randy Orton's arcade. Yes. He pulls, he pulls Rob Van Dam like by the tights, I think, or by the legs, somewhat from the top of the ladder. He flies in midair, and Orton just nails him with the RKO, climbs up the top of the ladder, kind of surveys the damage for a good 15 seconds with the briefcase very easily, you know, able to grab. And then unhooks it, wins the match. Crowd pops massive for, for Randy Orton, as they always do. And, and as we talk about, he's one of those guys who's way more over than we always assume that he is. Like, you would think, yeah, he's going out of style. He's been there for too long. Fans absolutely love Randy Orton. But the RKO, we saw it in this match. We saw it with Seth Rollins uh, at WrestleMania when he jumped off his shoulder and then he hit the RKO on, on Seth Rollins. This finisher, I think it's the best ever because it's sudden. It's impactful and it's exciting and there's a good sell job by the announcers, no matter who the announcer is. 
Yeah, you nailed it. There's two things that that put a, ne- a finisher to the next level. That it can happen out of nowhere, not to not to be cheesy there, but and that when it hits, you know the match is over because in theory, in real life, somebody gets face planted under the ground, they're knocked out, the match is over. So fantastic. This isn't a top three or four RKO. I mean, there's been some fantastic ones from Evan Bourne to Rollins at WrestleMania 31, a couple others off the top rope. But coming off, falling off of a ladder with this at stake, great finish. Orton gets it. Postscript on this, of course, is that two months later at SummerSlam in Los Angeles, Daniel Bryan defeats John Cena for the WWE Championship in the main event, and Randy Orton cashes in. Is that a very memorable cash in in your eyes? Yeah, because it was another occasion of WWE putting a title on Daniel Bryan and then taking it away from him. Now, it wasn't always their fault. Obviously, injury and other things came into play with, I think it was the Intercontinental title and one of the world titles he won. But that's what we've never seen from Daniel Bryan, like a sustained championship run. He's been put in the main event platform, but he's never been able to have the championship for like six months. Right, and Maybe just be that guy because his promoter, like you know, is is an old school guy who likes big guys, and and will give you the underdog story. But I don't think his promoter believes that an underdog story can sustain or should sustain. Maybe not, but four months is not long. No, like you no. can do it for four months. But uh, yes, it's a more one of the more memorable cashins. This was one of the more memorable money in the banks for me. And looking at this match, and then kind of also looking at the NXT North American Championship match from Takeover in New Orleans. It just tells me that, yeah, WWE may not do a lot of things right. They do ladder matches right almost every single time, particularly when they only have to book one, let's call it per gender, okay? Um, they, they get it. Like, they know how to book it. The guys know how to perform. They understand that ladder spots matter. And they do a very good job not repeating things because earlier in this match, Sheamus cracked a ladder in half. And I don't think we've seen that with just a single human, as opposed to like Killian Dane driving three people into one, until Braun Strowman, like two weeks ago on Raw, where just a single person's hands broke a ladder. You know what I mean? So that's a spot that five years later, I didn't even know that when I when I picked this match. I don't think we've seen that since. I thought that was interesting. Postscript part two, of course, the next night after this on Raw, Paul Heyman comes out and explains that it was kind of not convoluted. It was a little messy explaining why he turned on Punk, that he supports Lesnar. Lesnar's a bigger winner, not Punk. Leads to Lesnar attacking Punk. Leads to their own feud heading into SummerSlam with Lesnar getting the victory there. Hey, a, a very fruitful time for WWE looking back. Dave Meltzer gave this 4.25 stars. Adam, this is a strong match. I enjoyed the heck out of it. Your choice this week. What was your score? Yeah, this is two weeks in a row. I think his rating is really right on because... You didn't have a clean finish. I mean, you did, obviously, with Orton and RVD, but you didn't because you had Punk and Bryan with Axel and Heyman both interfering. So it's like, I'm not going to give it a five, I'm not going to give it five stars with a finish like that. While the match was very good and had a lot of moments that we really like, start to finish, it didn't necessarily have flow. Everyone got their moment in the sun in the middle of the ring, particularly Daniel, Daniel Bryan and RVD. And really what the match was, was a showcase to tell this uh, CM Punk storyline, who was not the winner of the match. So I think it gets marks for being above average. 4.25 for me is really perfect. I'm going to give it four stars, and I don't give it to that negatively. I just say I think it was a four-star match. The finish really won me back over. The Punk turn was fantastic there with Heyman, and I really like the RKO finish. I just think for how much it was touted as an all-star lineup, and it was in an all-star Money in the Bank match, I think it could have been a more spectacular match top to bottom. Look, 
we're in a day and age. We can't act like four stars is a bad thing. Solid four star money in the big match. Sometimes these money, these ladder matches aren't easy to book them into five stars. That's why the NXT one was really so spectacular this year. But it, good piece of business. Really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed what it led to. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So don't forget. Don't forget. Also, we are judging in 2018, and I've said this before. In 2013, that's a 4.75 star match, maybe. Like maybe we are saying, wow, that's one of the best ladder matches. I've ever seen because I think I remember thinking that way when I watched it. Now, it wasn't Razor Sean, obviously, or some of the other ones, but it was pretty damn good, especially for six men, especially for those six men. And having RVD in there should not be lost because he wasn't really part of a storyline, but he became a large part of that match storyline. But yes, looking back on it, 2018. Four stars, 4.25 stars. I think we're right there. Right, here's what I'm going to do. We're going to take a week off of this. Got some things going on next week. But send in this week your requests for pay-per-view rewind. I want to see this linger and hang around. I love this segment. I want to hear from the fans. You send in what you want to see. It'll be listener's choice this time around. Next week, Silver King and I will announce which one we select. We want to hear from you. If we pick you, we want to hear your voice on this show. Well, there you have it. No feel spots this week as we've already broken an indoor audio record for the longest podcast in the history. But follow us on the interweb. Special thanks to the handsome one, Nick Costos. And as the great Kenny Omega would say. Goodbye and good. Night. Oh yeah, we out.